back home and I tell people what I do for a living, they think, well, now that figures. But over here, it's uh, a big, big mystery. So I guess I've changed some. Sometimes I wonder if I've changed so much, my wife is even going to recognize me whenever it is I get back to her. And how I'll ever be able to to tell her about days like today. Uh, Ryan, I don't know anything about Ryan. I don't care. Man means nothing to me. It's just a name. But if you know, if going to Ramel and finding him so he can go home, if that earns me the right to get back to my wife, well then, then that's my mission. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like Ponzio. this. Ponzio! And this, apparently, the uh, <laughs> the announcer for our Best of the Year awards just snuck in there. Um, and this is episode 12. We're going. We're going, and in, in, uh, it's, it's, it's getting closer and closer, Mario. You know, after the last week, I have a little more energy to do these things. Uh, I got I got some more energy. I, I got I feel, 5 million I feel extra energy. Yeah. Um, probably climbing up to six million extra energies at some by the next week or so. Yeah, it might come crashing down in a month and a half, but two months, but you know. Well, fully or just like two portions of like our energy will just kind of I, disappear. I would like, you know, David Perdue just, has much of a giant piece of shit as he is. Like, he's not so like forwardly awful as Kelly Loafer is. I, Kelly Loafer's gonna lose. Yeah, I, I think she's going to lose I mean, that. people just hate going I mean, right now, <laughs> even, like, the, the first poll out of, like, post-election has Warnock down one point, and mm-hmm. it's, like, a very, fairly right-leaning pollster. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think it's going to end up being a split, personally. I think Purdue's going to... It's going to be about turning out the vote. I mean, like... So you know if, what? Actually, guys, Republicans, if you're listening, the election was a real fraud. You probably shouldn't vote anymore. Especially Probably if you're not. in Georgia. Yeah, that's weird. So how are they going to do that? <laughs> like, the election's in front, but you definitely got to vote. Yeah. But people and people are just not going to be like, why? I thought you said election voting was a fraud. Well, you got it. Because if we it. win, it's not a fraud. Right. But well, if, without, without Trump on the ticket, I don't... I, I don't I, know. I hope. I don't know. Whatever. That's the thing. So we were having this conversation before, and I was like, I don't want to get off on a tangent about anything. But the other part of me just doesn't even fucking give a shit anymore. The job is done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the job was to get that motherfucker out of office, and ostensibly we did it. You know what I mean? Hooray for everybody. Or we talk or we talk about Mike Pence when you say motherfucker. Yeah, Mike Pence. No, it's just to get <laughs> Betsy DeVos out of fucking office. Remember Betsy DeVos? She's still around. Oh, I know. We um, should all be cheering that. But part of my relief just comes from, like, I don't have to think about it anymore. So I've been, like, very specifically not thinking about it as much as humanly possible. 
Yeah. And since we've recorded some sad news in the world of entertainment, um, most importantly, Alex Trebek passed. Oh, yeah. I would say Sean Connery, but I've read some stuff about Sean Connery and opinions he held um, about hitting women in the face and the general belief of women. So, oh. you know, I'm less inclined. But Alex Trebek, a huge part of my life. So that was a, mm. a real downer for my Saturday. Sorry. Sunday. Yeah, I... Uh, we I fought a good fight, though. Fuck pancreatic cancer, man. Took out three yeah. good people this year. Um, like, you know, as much as I think RBG should have retired in 2013. Um, Still sad she died. Yeah. You know, her, John Lewis, Alex Trebek. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where every, in every death is magnified this year. If you're feeling stomach pain, people, go to your doctors. Pancreatic cancer, third leading cause of death from cancers, 95% death rate because it's not caught typically in the stage four mm, interesting very good thanks i don't know Mario. why we're doing a psa on what's the psa sound do i have i'll look up psa sounds on, on the internet tonight um but one of the things that's been getting me through mario has been drinking i'm not even gonna hide it drinking has been really good running and exercise has also been helping yeah drinking is drinking books. also eating crappy food eating crappy that. food is really good yeah so you got an abominable last week or two weeks ago we got the abominable Oh no, did you get... I got some more Abominable. Oh man, I had a terrible Abominable this past weekend. Which one is it? It was The Harvester. Okay, that's not it. Okay, good. This one matches. I thought, I saw it, and I wasn't going to do it, but I was like, that works for so one of one our for, movies. one for two on Abominable. Alright, so this, this one, one is Toxic Earth. Which one is it? It's like a that? Cthulhu. Another, another double IPA. Huh? Alright, a double, <laughs> I, w, double IPA brewed with local honey and matcha. <laughs> God, why is it... Abomina- abomination. 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 Why are they doing this with their beer? Why do they throw so much shit in their beer? I don't know, but... I'm, wait, I'm, I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to guess like 11.82%. 57%. 9.3. There you go. Still. But part of me... So, Mario, I sent you this picture of this beer called American Sol- Soldado. And it was... I know. Is this Cthulhu? It's got horns. It is. It, it is looks small. like a deer. But it has a Cthulhu face. But it's so small... And it lives and in the woods. Looking at it doesn't cause me to lose my mind, nor to be racist, like H.P. Lovecraft was. Mm. Burned in hell. He hated everything. Me Part did. of me just wants to, like, I'm so sick of beer. Like, I'm, Are you? Kind of. Like, I, well, I switched to liquor for a while. So. Right. So, like, I've been drinking a lot of Rolling Rock. Like, that was my election night beer, and it's been pretty good. It's I reintroduced you to Rolling Rock, didn't I? You did. It was, yeah. it was very exciting. Part of me wants just beers that are just, like, fucking shit up. So I had that beer, uh, American Soldado, I texted you, I was like, this beer is disgusting and also delicious. Because it tastes like drinking soda, but it just, it, like, is very sweet and good, and I was like, yeah, I'm excited about this beer. I'm excited for fucking crazy beers. We got 11 more episodes of this podcast to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, before, I mean, we're probably going to continue, and there's probably more than 11. We'll do something, yeah. But for the beer aspect of it, I say we just get fucking funky. Let's get find funky. The, find the weirdest shit we can. All right. So again, W Double India Pale Ale. WWE IPA. Local honey and matcha. That's weird. That's our first <laughs> matcha beer. Matcha. Also, yeah. By first matcha beer, do you mean the first ever beer you heard of that put matcha in it? Doesn't smell bad. COVID dink. Oh, does it not? Oh, there's something meaty in that smell. It smells like meaty. Meat. Yeah. Not meat. Mead. Mmm. Meaty flavor, though. Meady. It meaty. smells meaty like a steak. 
and taste meaty like Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Happy uh, next generation console day by the week, by the way. Did you reserve yours? Would you get an Xbox? Are you an Xbox what, guy or you a PlayStation guy? I'd get, I'd get a Series X. Yeah. I just like the, uh, the console layout, the uh, user face layout. And Game Pass is a great deal. Not a sponsor. <laughs> if you want to sponsor us. I mean, they could use us, I think. the dick of Microsoft for that sponsorship. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's something I say is like a negative thing in terms of like sponsorships and like sucking up to people. But in this regard, yeah, yeah. We're, we're there, Microsoft. We will full tongue, finish the job, everything. I mean, it's not going to be free. But, you know. How do we, can we segue? Can we segue? You know what I wish was free, Tom? Housing? Sometimes was my... Are we, are we going into that first? Oh, I don't know. We, no, go ahead. Starting? No, no, no. Sometimes what I wish was free was was a couple days of Netflix when, mm. I, when I subject myself to a film. And you don't have a clip for this because you just said it's not worth it. But, uh, you know, it's it's November 14th, the day after Friday the 13th. So the two films we're talking about are uh, horror films because mm. Netflix dropped some horror movies before uh, the Halloween holiday a couple Saturdays ago. Uh, Freaky opened up in theaters yesterday. We're not going to see that in theaters. I'll watch it when it comes out on VOD on December 4th. You won't care. I mean, if you tell me where you watched it, I'll watch it. Uh, But the first movie we want to talk about, which doesn't have a clip, so I won't remember the pause, is Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight, the Polish slasher film. Um, It is a movie where a large conglomeration of teenagers descend upon some Polish woods. Uh, It is a technology-free camp. It's a rehabilitation camp, as they report on the Netflix title. Don't really get that. For people addicted to their phones? Yeah, it's it's something that's... I didn't get a sense that everyone was addicted. What I got a sense of was that they needed them to not have technology so that they would need, you know... They would have an inability to escape from the, the Listen, monsters in the woods. Their these... problem with the monsters has nothing to do with technology. Well, but I mean to call in police and whatnot. I guess, yeah. Anyhow, um, a group of five of these teenagers or so, it doesn't matter. Yep. They're all white Polish people. They look the same to me. They do. Um, Take go that, on a three-day hike uh, as group four. Um, and meanwhile, a mother has kept captive... Her two sons, who have been conglomerated and mixed with this black ooze from a meteorite. I guess it's a symbiote suit. Is that what we're going with here? I don't know. I don't know. They're Spider-Man villains. Who knows? And the mother dies, and they escape, and they're cannibals, I guess, but not really. They're just kind of giant, pimply monsters. Um, These five teenagers and their guide are systematically, one by one, murdered. Um, until one woman, girl, is left, and, you know, she escapes. But then we have the little twist of the two killers being alive at the end. Hooray! It's your very typical slasher film. The unfortunate thing about this was, um, director Barsops Koloski, sorry about, you know, doing garbage to your name, has definitely seen... A nice conglomeration of mid-2000 horror films. He has a lot of nice little sway and throwbacks to uh, death scenes from horror movies. The sleeping bag death is from Friday the 13th part I don't remember. 
but it's replicated in Jason X mm-hmm. and uh, played again in Friday the uh, 13th 2009 remake. The chopped in half scene, scene with the police officer is like one of the the most famous kill of the Wrong Turn series, mm-hmm. um, where I forgot her name, but an American Idol star is like chopped in half. She's I remember that. Yeah. from American Idol. Um, the pole through the head is reminiscent of Paris Hilton's death in the House of Blacks remake. So it's somebody who has a knowledge base of slasher films, and you can see a real strong attempt to try to develop some characters here. Like, none of these five yeah, leads I suppose so. yeah, yeah, yeah. are naturally... Typically in slasher films, there's a dislikable person. Somebody you're hoping dies. Mm-hmm. There's work done here to add some sort of degree of sensibility. Not necessarily sensibility, but uh, favorability to all these characters. To, uh, a sense of um, not wanting to see them die. Well, they um, just they seem like nice people. Yeah, they seem like generally nice teenagers. Like the the first Daniel, who loses his virginity, is like timid and actually not trying to be dece- deceitful. He's just mm-hmm. excited to lose his virginity. The woman he loses his virginity to is playful and kind of like quote unquote slutty. But overall, when she later meets like the other character who Bartop, who ends up being gay, she's really receptive to him, and they have a yeah, nice and communication. She's, and she's and like, per, she's very vain but she's also they don't play her for like she's not mean. evil yeah she's just a she's nice just vain a person young teenager yeah um the chubby overweight kid not really that overweight in american stereotypes <laughs> really only in europe would this be like that's the fat kid and it's yeah, just like yeah. he has like five like 20 pounds of pudge maybe um is self-referential to all that but overall seems like a decent kid and the lead is also a decent person and the movie attempts to kind of like do something with these people, but Ben just gets bored with that. And just, you know, it spends so much time in its first act building this nothing, building nothing whatsoever. We see a bunch of people in this camp building into the hike. None of that plays a role into it. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you get to like the actual murders and whatnot, which from a practical CG, like practical gore standpoint, fine. pretty, pretty solid yeah. uh, for what I assume is a pretty stout budget mm-hmm. um things are just kind of left on the hook um especially bart like bartov the, the gay character you build a lot of like sympathy for him with his backstory and all that uh-huh. for him to be assailed by a random priest in a 10 minute sequence that only is there to have a wood chopper for the priest that doesn't stand any point and then he's this kid who you kind of built like not an emotional attachment to, but like a sympathy for. It's just like randomly killed off screen. Yeah. And thrown to the mailman for no real reason. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the problem with it is the fact that like there's a lot of potential and promise in terms of like crafting something that could be a slightly fun Tucker and Dale versus evil sort of horror film. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the better horror comedies of its time because this definitely tries to lean into its comedy. Kind but of. It ends up. Yeah, at times. Yeah. But it ends up just being a mess because it just introduces random characters either for comedic effect or for just moments. Mm. Um, you know, a 10-minute sequence to show the backstory of these woodland monsters is totally unnecessary. Wrong Turn tells us, hey, these siblings fucked each other a lot and now they eat people. That's good enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um this, this like, spends a lot of time either trying to justify itself or trying to make a turn to, to humor. The police officer scene, I think, is actually probably one of the funnier scenes, like when mm-hmm. he's in the car with a prostitute. Mm-hmm. But it serves no purpose. It uh, totally 
everything this movie's trying to do ends up working against it. And that's what ends up being a major bummer. Well, it's kind of, it's just tonally, it's tonally and narratively weird. So one of the things that, you know, we, we've talked about and you mentioned, um, which I wasn't going to mention, but I'm glad you mentioned it, is like the fact that you kind of like all these people and you don't really want any of them to die. And it's because they spent like a little bit of time and, uh, you know, I suppose it's well cast, although we don't know who any of these people are, so we don't really know. But they all fit and they're all pretty good and they... Um, they don't give them a lot to do, so we're kind of basing our we're basing our feelings on how they're framed and like you know all this other stuff um, and how they act and they none of them seem to be acting untoward in any way. Yeah. So they're not like even like you said even that one girl who's supposed to be like I guess the stereotypical you know mean girl type person she just doesn't she spends like an extra second looking at her phone before and she gives not- it up mean no she's, <laughs> she's not really nice to and I think, everybody so i think the problem with this movie is that it doesn't really have a really clear narrative sense on what it's trying like where it wants to go as a story so like when they start doing those sell those references to other horror movies or references like the, the meta horror stuff like screen horror three rules where you have six right um you don't know where it's coming from and like it's i i thought for a second i was like oh this is cool that it's like a monster movie like Cool, like monster. I, mean, I, I even had this thought: like only in Europe would they still make a monster movie. But then they show you how the monsters got made, and you're just like, "This they were doing this better in the X Files in like the mid '90s." Like, are you talking about the mother? The the the, the cut episode. Which one? The mother episode, like the locked in the room episode. No, no, no. I just mean like oh. it, like it from that like special effects. Up, and, well, home fucked me up. Home. That's what I was talking about. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Home is the is home was rough. <laughs> home was rough um, I always like the Tony Shalhoub episodes the most the killer shadow oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that was a cool one um I like X-Files X-Files is great but holds up also it, Gillian Anderson well it kind of holds up the middle the middle seasons the oh, middle no, 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 I'm talking about like the first five seasons oh no I'm talking about like season three four five like the first two seasons are kind of hokey I think but but you're getting a sense of everything yeah but I, I liked the show better when it had a little money yeah, yeah, because everything was just fog. But like until like then. five or six, like five, I think is like where it kind of loses it. Well, it becomes weird, and then the rubber. The, the, what I, what I also, what I agree with you is the tonal inconsistency about you know this film is the fact that like Julek's death works because he gets like that moment where he's just like asking to die, mm-hmm. and for, you built up that character. So that death actually is somewhat poignant, and it's yeah, his it tongue works. Now. Yeah, like Annalelia or whatever. You know, I minus a D plus an A. Mm-hmm. She just like ran. He turns to her. It's it's going to be like a death in a movie in my movie later on, and she just has a pole sticking out of her head. Yeah. The other kid just gets slammed against the wall. The other kid just gets a death off screen. Like these are characters who we've added some dimensionality to. Like very thin, obviously, a for, a slasher, yeah, yeah. for a slasher film. Yeah. Dimensionality, and they're just kind of kind of like disregard. They're just done for a quick moment, and it really does a disservice to like some of the footwork you put in. Well, it. my problem, I suppose, with this movie is that a lot of horror movies start with a premise and then it adds the characters in. So the characters seem superfluous to the premise. This has no premise. It just starts with the characters. It's just these characters and they're at a camp, which is not a premise because it's been done before. There's a killer and, you know, the fact that he's a monster or whatever. Two of them. Two, I suppose there's one two with a, One with a flat plaid shirt and one with overalls. One with hair, one with no hair. But even that is no premise. You know what I mean? It's not a premise. There's no premise in this movie. Like, it's just, where can we put people in 
the how can we get people in the woods? It's almost like they came up with the title and then they were just like, okay, now what? Make a camp, and they can't have phones, and that'll uh, be cool. We need nudity, but even then, a close-up shot on boobs only. Yeah, um, but then even the phone thing is weird because it doesn't seem like anyone has that big of a problem with like letting go of their phones. Everyone's just kind of like, yeah, you'll feel really good after not having Instagram updates, and everyone's like, okay. And they even say, like, it's going to be good not looking at Instagram. It's like, and everyone's just like, fine, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's, it, what, what bummered me out about it, bummered, what bummed me out about it was it feels like there's a lot of potential there. It feels like somebody that has a knowledge base of horror. It looks like, okay. It looks, yeah, it looks like it has some actually, like, good, decent cinematography for the genre. Um, it has a lot of development pro- promise, but then it just, like, spends so many moments where it doesn't need to spend and it spends so much energy where it doesn't need to spend it. And it becomes too obsessed with a high body count where it doesn't need to be. Yeah. I think this is a movie that would have benefited from maybe only having, like, three characters die. Yeah. Like, have most of the kids get out. But have a reason. Like, this movie has no script. I mean, so this is where, like, this is the rare horror movie when you're just, like, make a better script. And you can make a better script by yeah. having a worse script. Yeah, I guess it's like you know the I mean? direction problem. Because, di- like, from a direction standpoint, it's not bad. From It's just, from a story standpoint, it's an absolute failure. Yeah. Yeah. Conversely. Conversely. Conversely, uh, Mario. Netflix also released another horror film-ish. Uh, around the same day, uh, two days later. Mm-hmm. Uh, the day before Halloween. Um, and this film does not suffer from, for me, a screenplay problem, or a directing problem, or a... Or anything. Well, problem. much of anything problem. Yeah. And that is... His house. Not Adam Ant's house. His house. <laughs> I saw something in the dark. You have felt it too. You're having problems with the property? This is what they want. They like to see us crazy. <laughs> Let them send us back. How quickly you forget everything we went through to get here. We are not going back. There is no witch. Get What is that? Rats. Rats did this. You went outside. This is my house! This is my house! You don't wonder what it tells me. It says I should be afraid of you. Before we get into this, have you watched Lovecraft Country? Not yet. But I wanted seems, to after I it just seems this like move, this show. After like like over the year I've been watching different performances from people in Lovecraft Country and I'm yeah. like if all these people combine to be in Lovecraft Country like Lovecraft Country must not be that bad I, I the my so, and you know me and Jonathan Majors right so my problem with Lovecraft Country has nothing to do with the show it has to do with the fact that for some reason in my house when I bring up HBO Max on my computer it um the signal sucks I don't know what it is it doesn't happen on any of the other streaming networks it's like this very choppy. Every ten seconds, it does this. It's Miyazaki thing. thinking you're going to try to watch one of his movies on your computer. I have all of them on DVD. I don't need to. I don't need to well, do that. But he thinks Miyazaki. that's what he thinks. He's like, 
It's just fucking with my head. No, but like, um, so uh, the reason you ask, I'm assuming, is because uh, one of the the main character in this movie is played by Winumi Musaku. Fuck, I hate when there's names that are hard to pronounce. We sound like such idiots, and we don't mean to. It's just hard. It's just hard. I'm sure my name's hard to pronounce for somebody from Uruguay. Yeah, maybe. Probably not. My favorite thing about my favorite People, thing about the Polish somebody, movie. We a just friend did. of mine from Pol, from Philly calls me Mario and has a hard time remembering it's Mario. I so. call you Mario sometimes, not into your face. Sir. But I just my grandfather used to call me Mario all the time just to get it under my skin. <laughs> and then he died because of a VA mix-up. <laughs> Happy <laughs> Veterans Day. Oh man! All right, let's move on. Um, she plays uh, Rial. Um, she is married. To or her husband, I think we don't I mean we don't ever see it, but they call each other husband. Bull, played by Soapy uh, Dirisu. Um, have, I think he did a good job in those names. I think he did all right. I mean, I didn't feel whatever. Um, they are um, refugees from South Sudan, and they have ended up in England, and uh, they are given uh, housing in a in a in a like a, what we would call a project here, but it's really just kind of like a housing development in England. Temporary asylum, basically. Yeah. Um, and they are told, here are some rules. Here is your house. Don't fuck it up and you'll get to stay. Fuck up even a little bit and uh, you won't get to stay. They are met at the house by Doctor Who, which I uh, was... Played by Mott Smythe. Um, I I was kept hoping for like a I don't I don't watch Doctor Who, but I was like, oh, I know that's a Doctor Who, and I kept thinking that there was <laughs> going to be a, a Doctor Who. I kept thinking there was going to be a way, Doctor Who tie in tie in here. By the way, any listener who's a Doctor Who fan right now is losing their shit because the character is the Doctor, not Doctor. Tom Nolan does not give a fuck. <laughs> you people need to get a life, buddy. Um, those my, are all the same people. My who... favorite, my favorite doctor. The one season of that show I ever watched was uh, the the fourth series or whatever, which is like his first. Thing. I just want to say those are the same people who freaked out when the doctor was a woman. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Who like set the internet on fire because they they perverted. The... It doesn't is matter. She, is she still Fuck all the you doctor? people. I think she is. Right? They haven't. There's usually like an announcement when they change doctors. Is that what? Is that what? How we talk about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um. They in their passage Jeez. across um, in their passage by boat um, to freedom, they uh, lose their daughter um, Niagek. Um, I'm not even Malai, Malaika. I'm not. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look it up on Wikipedia or IMDb or whatever. Just whatever. Um, she dies and. Uh, there's not a lot of, not a lot of like plot necessarily to go into here. Uh, suffice it to say that as we've mentioned before, this is a horror movie. Both Bull and Rial start to see things in their home, and they both have a different reaction to the things that they're seeing. One of the things that they're seeing is their daughter, um, in a mask and in the in, in some, um, uh, you know, what looks like kind of traditional clothes, um, creeping about. Through in the in within the walls and in in Bull sees Bull sees this one night. The, I, I love the night when he and I have a lot of thoughts on this movie. I love that one. The second time, you know, he gets up in the middle of the night and the and the 
the flap of the of the wall covering comes down and there's the big hole and there's the there's the rope and he pulls, yeah, he pulls the rope. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I fucking love it. Um, but they both have a different reaction to it, and it's based on the idea of. And we're going to get a little kind of symbolic here. We're going to kind of move away from plot. And we're going to move away from interpretation and kind of feelings. It's based on the idea of assimilation. Is that Bowl really wants to assimilate to this new way of being? He wants to use utensils when he eats. He wants to sing this dumbass soccer song. Um, and Rial wants to kind of keep some of them, them themselves. He buys the polo worth one tenth of their weekly salary. Right. Um, and she wants to keep some of herself. She wants to keep even so far as to like keep their um, their daughter, as it were. And we'll talk about like the twist, I guess, a little bit. Um, we'll announce a spoiler alert before we get into any of that. I suppose I won't do the thing, but we'll you know just say spoiler. Alert. Um, she has a she had a, she came over with a doll, and then she pulls off like the 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 beaded fringe on the edge of the doll's dress, and she wears it as a necklace. And she wants to keep some of this herself, and so. The ghosts are saying one thing to him and they're saying another thing to her. And um, the way that that kind of materializes, the way that that conflict, um, it's like a conflict inside of a conflict kind of, uh, you know, materializes is really kind of fascinating. There's a lot of really great special effects, very um, modest in scope, a lot of mood stuff here, um, but it all really works, I think. I mean, I think this is an achievement of some kind. Um, I'm not gonna say it's the greatest movie I've ever seen. It's not like the greatest horror movie I've ever seen, but it's definitely doing. One of, it's hitting some. It's hitting a lot of of really great notes. I will say this: it's probably of the past few years one of the greatest directorial debuts I can remember. It's really it's and it's fascinating when you watch it because you don't even really notice it's happening, and then at some point in the movie, maybe like so, this movie's like an hour and forty, maybe like an hour. Not even. It's like barely over 130, 100, an hour and thirty minutes. Okay, so I think like an hour in, it has, it has, when she, when Rial kind of flees, when Bol kind of starts to lose it and he's trying to lock her into the house. Oh, really? See, for me, it's before that. It's when he's sitting at the table and it pulls out and the, the wall's yeah. destroyed. I think that's, that's still building. But yeah. by the time she leaves and then you get to see all the flashback stuff and you get to see what really happens, it's built this kind of really intense power that the ending even though I, I i have some i have some feelings about you know one of the you know the kind of climactic scene um it has a lot of fucking it has a it, it's carrying a, it's packs a punch it's carrying a lot of weight and it's when it strikes it's striking with a lot of 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 heavy force um and this is not even to say I mean, maybe we can go into it a little bit like the politics of it i i i'm i'm kind of hesitant to to talk about yeah, my knowledge of any of the South Sudan exactly. conflict is so um, weak, and I don't even really want to make the case that it's like indicative of what every refugee goes through. But I think in terms of these two people, it's the ending. When it gets to the ending, when it when it when it crests there, it's really kind of it's devastating. Um, you know, I'm a, from whatever you said, I can interpret that and you a liked it. Bismal failure of a film. <laughs> Um, no, what I what I think is is that works so amazingly well in this film is constant building claustrophobia. Mm. Um, it, beyond the sense, even even more so than the sense of some of the masterfully done scenes of of horror, of actual kind of like paranormal horror. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, borrowing a lot from, you know, kind of like, like some of the horror films of yesteryear, that entire sequence, like, it, I don't, I don't mean to belittle like how well it's done, but the entire sequence where she escapes from the house and is back in South Sudan, so reminiscent of something like House, mm-hmm. like from the 80s, not, not the, oh. not that, not that one. The, ah. the American house. Yeah. Um, which also tries to deal with like Vietnam war trauma, but mm. does so very poorly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fun sort of goofy ghost movie, but it's not okay. putting in the work. Um, you know, you have those moments that are reminiscent of that. And like all those things work, work well and they work better than I've seen in other mm-hmm. horror films or, cause this is really reminiscent of, of those late nineties or mid two thousands kind of, Skeleton Key, What Lies Beneath style of horror film. Um, you know, relative, not violent. Relatively, yeah, 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 yeah. Relatively <clears throat> contained scenes of, of trauma. But the claustrophobia that works really well in this is the over foreboding sense of not belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond the kind of in-your-face um, instances of not just racism... But uh, nationalism that are kind yep. of there, um, with Real getting yelled at by those kids. Uh, what works extremely well for me, and I mentioned this to you over text, is everything early on in this film. You tell, they mentioned like you're gonna get seventy five, seventy five, seventy four. I thought it was. I thought it was seventy. It doesn't there. matter. Yeah. Um, pounds a week. Yeah, and I agree. Everything surrounding him as he's walking you're so aware of it man you're so fucking aware of it as he's walking down the aisle of like the supermarket there's two pounds two pounds two pounds you know like the three pounds for the doritos he's picking up all this shit and you're like he can't afford this yeah and they picks up the shirt and he's looking at seven pounds and as he picks up the shirt you're looking behind him ten pounds seven pounds eight pounds blah 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 and like you're just like the overwhelming weight of the reality of the situation is what works so well. It's the background horror of it, but it's the horror that hits me most because it's the real horror that they're facing every day and that the current, like, you know, administration in Europe, in sorry, not in Europe, but in the United Kingdom is uh, vehemently against and vehemently trying to cut away. I think even though right now America, the United States accepts maybe 30% of our asylum seekers, mm-hmm. your United Kingdom's a little better. I think it's like 54%, but uh-huh. like, you know, the controlling party is definitely trying to cut that down quite a bit. Um, and w- the horror that works is that horror, you know, beyond the horror of the paranormal, beyond the horror of the guilt and whatnot that we're yep. getting to in spoiler yep. territory, which works extremely well. I think the, the conclusion of the film works for me because it's about carrying that weight and moving on from it. Um, I, I don't know if that's what you're getting to. What works yeah, is the right. horror and the weight of just like, Relive in a house that's making us sick and is infested with bugs. Well, it's kind of big. It's bigger than our big, house. Yeah. Well, we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, <clears throat> oh, look how they're treating their house. You know, like basically by social workers being treated as another subhuman. Yeah. Being surrounded constantly by money. People of their own race treating them with with hatred and disgust. Yep. All of that works so well because it is actual tangible horror that they face day to day. Well, so I mean, to, so it's a it's a it's a Fantastic achievement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that thing about the kind of like the over... The umbrella under which like the horror kind of resides is all of these kind of very real societal forces. You know what I mean? The money, the racism, the nationalism, all this other stuff. Even like her own, like just kind of... People's just general ignorance. And and Rial is kind of guilty of that as well. She just assumes that these black kids speak... um, 
the same language as she does, yeah, do you know. Um, but they don't, and 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 everyone's kind of. And I, I, I I've been reading too much Armand White. I gotta fucking stop reading Armand White. Yeah, this have, is not a movie you should be reading Armand White. <laughs> but I feel like it's one of those things where he would say like it was good that like those kids threw her in her place. He would say this is a good movie because. It's not like necessarily. Wait, did he mention this at all? No, no, okay. no. Because I think probably because he doesn't have terrible feelings about it. So one of the one of the funny things about Armand White is that like unless he's being like a troll by saying like this object- objectively terrible movie is good or this movie is bad for all these reasons, if he has like mixed, so he has, still hasn't read, wrote a Defive um, Defive Bloods review. Defive Bloods review. Um, I'm assuming because he feels. I wonder if he ever did like an Atlantic review. I don't know. Um, so there's always a but the, the 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 tremendous achievement I think of this movie is how that all those societal things, all those cultural things are still underscored with an exact um mirror of horror. You know what I mean? So they're not it's not just that like they're being attacked at night when the lights are out. You know what I mean? It's not so much that um Bull feels compelled to kind of tear holes in his walls to find out um you know where these things are coming from. Um, it's that. It's that scene when remember when Rial is sitting in her in the room, and she like looks at the walls where like Bull has cut all the holes, and there's all. Everyone is just what really quickly just just as a aside in his like breakdown of um, Barack Obama's like top of the year last year. Armand White is talking about foreign film. Um, that is like always there, like Ashes of Pierce White, Birds of Passage, Transit, and Parasite specifically leaves out Atlantics. So, Weird. You know, it's probably because he probably liked it. Yeah. Um, so that scene where, where they're all just staring at her. You know what I mean? They're all on the wall. You can see all the ghosts. And they're just like staring at her. And it was great. I mean, I, I love I, that's like the most affecting scene for me. That, that was one of the most affecting moments because it has this, it has this dread, this horror dread. You know what I mean? Because it's a horror movie. But it also has this additional meaning as, of being metaphorical of, of everything else that's kind of happening in their life. There's all these eyes on them that, whether they know it or not, whether they exist or not, are kind of judging them and seeing what they're going to do. Um, to that point, I like, I like all the symbolism. I like all the imagery. I like all the metaphors. I like the idea that like he's peeling... He's peeling like this layer off of the walls. You know what I mean? It's almost like it's acting like skin. You know what I mean? Mm. He's peeling this off the walls. He's digging at it. He's scraping at it. He's trying to almost like remove his own skin to reveal his like true English skin underneath. You know what I mean? To the point where I think when the monster comes, and it's an old, you know, it's a it's an a, apath. It's, it's an apath, witch. but it's a white guy. It's white. Is it white? Or sure. It supposed to be, I, didn't, I didn't know if it's white or just supposed to be like ashen. And... No, I think it's white. Okay. And that's when he tears his skin. He, you know, he's that cut that that bowl has made in his arm because this is what it wants. So I'm going to give it to it. When it tries to like stick its hand inside of him. You know what I mean? Almost like it's a white person trying to get inside for... of a black person. I, I, I love give... the idea of that. I didn't, I didn't take that from that, but I could see that. But it's, it's too much. It was too much of the apeth. I didn't want it. It's almost like I, the thing that kept coming up to me at the end of the movie was um, the witch. It had a the witch problem, where like all of a sudden, like you weren't asking to see the monster the whole time, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Here's the monster." Hello, I'm here also, monster. And it just kind of it it didn't need it. You know what I mean? It didn't it didn't need the like the um, 
the obviousness of it. Because yeah. I think it's up to that point, it's so effective kind of skirting around. And even to the point where, like, the jump scare stuff, like the, the very stereotypical, like, figure moving in the background, they never just rest on the jump scare. The jump scares always go somewhere. It always goes somewhere else. This movie is really weird. Like you said, it plays up to the surreal. It almost seemed like it was it was just too much. And it didn't have the kind of... It almost seemed like it was aping that the um, the Pan's Labyrinth, the um, um, the the guy with the hand, the I the pale man, uh, the pale man. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I can never remember that. Um, it's aping the pale man thing. But the pale man gets sold with so many other different ways. You know what I mean? It's 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 part myth. It's part um, you know. It's part folklore. It's all this other stuff. So when you see it, and they've talked about it, and they've mentioned it, um, it kind of go. And you've seen Pan at that point goes along with all the other stuff. There's a naturalism to the ghosts in, in every other part of this. There's a naturalism to the horror. There's, she's wearing a mask that seems unnatural, that looks a little bit like the Apeth. So when the Apeth comes and it's very unnatural, it just kind of, it was, um, it moved this from like an A plus to like an A minus for me. Hmm. Or like an A, like a 90, a 98 to like a 93. That's still an A. It's still good. It's good. Not A minus. It might be an A minus. would be an A minus. I don't know. It's 94, 95, 96. Really? Yeah, I think so. And my grading scale back in whatever was like 93 to 96 was an A. I don't know. This is very generous. Was a 67 C minus? That was a D plus. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. That that works for me because like it, it, it still feels like this conglomeration of guilt that Bull feels. Mm-hmm. And it, like, I don't know. I, read some collider article that talks about like you know is the apeth even there or is he just trying to commit suicide over the guilt and, like i don't buy into that necessarily but i just I it's I, there yeah I, I feel it's there or, or it could be um but i i just i do see it has like this this manifestation of his guilt um you know spoilers obviously their daughter was not their daughter yeah, um, they, just they just picked her up. Stole her he, to get he, on a bus. Well, he picked her up to get on a bus. Yeah, um, and that's why she's kind of able to. Real's kind of able to, not necessarily move on, but ex- accept the demons of her past. Whereas he's not, because he's still kind of running away from that sense of guilt. He's still denying that sense of guilt. He's yep. just kind of over. He's trying to quickly get over the fact that she died. Someone yep. who, who stole from his a mother mm-hmm. like, was not his child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that works for me in the sense of like this punishment that he deserves. You know, that punishment necessarily he deserves, but this like sure. weight of guilt and this moment of you know when when you have that manifestation of guilt, it does feel like this overwhelming weight, and that kind of has that moment to it mm-hmm. until Rial's there to kind of pick him up. And that's what works for it with me is like when Rial slits the throat of the ape. Sure, yeah, you know, like like. I, I think like seeing the Night Witch itself is 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 hokey or a little too much, but I think it works ultimately when together, you know, they're able to kind of defeat it, defeat that guild of the past, take it on, yeah, and move forward. The and con- like the the spirits and demons, and not demons, but the spirits of their past are still there, but they're able to look forward yeah. to the future. The concept of it works perfectly. Like the execution's just a little too much. It was yeah. just a little too much of seeing the monster. I might for not me. drop. It. I might not drop it like five points. I might drop it like a point. That just it, 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 
I think because the special effects up to that point really like worked so well and they were so specific mm-hmm. and this seemed like the antithesis of antithesis of that where it wasn't it wasn't surreal anymore it became very real um and it, in its reality it wasn't it, just, I, it didn't sell it well enough i have a difficulty in thinking how i do that how it, that should be done better and i don't want to like hypothesize what we could be done but i think i think it could be done better if, without, if it doesn't talk you know what i mean right. if it doesn't if it doesn't linger like so much on like the thing kind of hovering over him but like um, that digging into the flesh the digging into, that's the thing so the good. digging into the flesh is good it's all this kind of lead up to like the thing that it's trying to do um it's just kind of like i don't i don't i don't need to hear it talk or express itself like we should, we know what it wants like it's one of those things where it's like a couple like a couple seconds shaved off here and there yeah yeah, yeah yeah just it just keep, keep so the actual manifestation the... of the monster getting on him and digging itself in isn't what bugs you it's just the kind of like there's too much space there there's too much space there's too much exposition surrounding the thing from the thing i like it's cool if the thing expresses itself in the dark you know what i mean but when the thing finally emerges out of the floor um i I don't i don't want super i don't want like you know James Bond level villain exposition about like why it's taking you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just have it take it. You've done so much good work with just the images, with just sound, with just and all this know, stuff. We know just from the, the turns perspective from the turn perspective why it needs a, the soul for the soul sort of thing. Right. Or she just explained the ape she like explained the apeth so like expertly that I don't want to hear from the apeth. You know what I mean? I just I don't want to hear from it, and if we've already heard from it in in really kind of effective ways, my I think really my one issue with this film comes from from Matt Smith. <laughs> um, he's never selling the emotion he's being told to sell, which is like like empathy. There's this no, there's this like, like sense doing your of job. like doing your job and not giving a shit at first, building into an empathy near the end yep. of of kind of just like accepted the cultural differences mm-hmm. but like he doesn't have this growth in there which bugs me well because he's only got like the four scenes he's got the four scenes but the scene but yeah, where he like stops the photographer where he stops the guy yeah. taking the photos like that felt a little flat to me well I just think between I, the... I felt like I don't know I felt like this movie needed kind of a yeah. face a known face a known to American West, Western audiences mm-hmm. sort of face because um, I assume this would have this came out like I don't I don't know much about Gangs of London. I don't know how big that show or movie. Or I don't know. Is. It's a show, yeah. Um, and this is definitely before Lovecraft Country took over. Like mm-hmm. I just don't feel he's doing a lot of work to get there. Well, I just think it's, which is which which is fine. Right. It's not like the end. The, of the movie's world. doing a shit right. ton of work. To but get I just think there. That, I think you're right in the terms of from between the his first and second scenes, where in the first scene he really doesn't seem like he gives a shit, and then all of a sudden Ball comes into the office and he's just like. Wow, I really give a shit. Like, yeah. I'm very concerned now. It's like, really? Because you seem like you were a total fucking asshole in the first the first time, like, you know, your first five minutes in the movie. Yeah. Like, how did you get from point A to point B? Yeah, it's the only thing that doesn't work for me. Um, You know who plays, by the way, the, the Apith? No. Javier Botet. Oh, really? Hmm. Interesting. I watched it and I was like, that 100% has to be him. <laughs> My first instinct was like, they got fucking Doug Jones. Doug Jones will do anything. Oh, really? That was my first thought. 
No, I, I was like, yeah, that's the beat. Well, Doug Jones was did the stuff for for Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth yeah. yeah. Well, Javier Bardem's kind of like taken over for Doug Jones. I think Doug Jones has become too much of a big deal now in the world. Oh, he's like the original Andy Circus. Well, I remember he did like the Witch and the Hobo and whatnot, and it and mm-hmm. everything, and he's just like the new Doug Jones. Cool, but slender. But I think um, his he house. The slender man. Oh yeah. Did you see that movie? No, God no. Uh, his house really works. It's yeah. really excellent. It's uh, worth all of your time. One of the best of on the Netflix. year. Well, I, I assume, unless stuff for the rest of the year blows our socks off, it'll be in know, the man. conversation. It's, um, this is a weird year. Who knows? This is a weird year. Our year still ends. January 15th, which is the release date of One Night in Miami. But on it comes out on December 24th, and that's the only reason we're going yeah. to January 15th, because we're not going to see it in Well, it comes out theatrically January, December 24th and comes out on Amazon. Yeah, on anything that comes out theatric, anything that, like, we're, we're not going to do our, our best of the year until, like, February. And so if stuff comes out theatrically in, like, December, before December 31st and is released on VOD before December, tw- on January 20th, 30th, I'll still watch it. Mm-hmm. Theatrical release date, December 31st, is my cutoff. Yeah. Well, we have Hillbilly Elegy to tide us over until then, Mario. Uh, we're not reviewing that, are we? I don't really want to watch it. I don't either. I mean, it just looks awful. The reviews are great. <laughs> Actually, they're not as bad as I thought they were going to be. In the sense that most of the bad reviews JD are still Vance like is kicking a wall right they're now. They're like C pudgy, fat fucking face. They're like C minuses and like two stars and like. Like this just this oh, doesn't work. Collider shit all over it. Well, Collider will can, can do that. I'm saying like major, you know, media conglomerates that like don't want to be too mean to stuff that you know their readers are going to probably really like. Um, are I agree? But still, I did the jerking off motion. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, we'll be right back with uh, your number twelve. Yeah. Hey, we're back. Um, all right, so my number twelve is—I um, don't know. Did you know what this? Have you had you heard of this movie before? It's on my list. I had heard of its pre, like like the earlier movie, and its sequel. Mm-hmm. But not this one. But not this one. Um, I thought this was an anime. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea what this movie was. Um, Fuck this preamble fucking bullshit. I never do that stuff. My number 12 is the 1992 Ron Frick documentary. Yeah, Ron Frick. We're doing it. We're talking about you, Ron Frick. Uh, Baraka.
Oops, I can... Wait. Pausing it. Yeah? That's used in the mist. I'm sure it is, yeah. I like the mist. You do like the mist. Yeah. Um, didn't fade out enough. I'm not going to fix it. Though. That's when they're driving through like the mist and they're seeing all the people dead. And... Well, it was used in Baraka first. It's the same. I mean, they're conveying the same thing with the aliens, you know, the beings, and then you know, the uh, uh, the beings. Indian people scooping through landfills looking uh, for food. It's the same. Roger Ebert said this would be the best movie to show aliens. I think so, and he's he's got it kind of right. I, yeah, Roger Ebert did a kind of a good job. Um, I saw this movie, Mario. I had no idea what this movie was. I'd never even heard of it. I took this class in two thousand six. Uh, no, two thousand eight seventeen. 2018? It was a winter, so it was a wind, uh, uh, a spring semester, so it could have been either one. Would assume, well, yeah, I guess either one, because we didn't come up. Was, you didn't come up with your list. And, when did you show me your first list? Was it? No, it would have been 17. It was 17. Because you um, showed me your list in, in 18. Like, beginning of 18, yeah. yeah. Um, 2017, I was taking a class called World Religions, and in the first class, it was, it was a, a three-hour Wednesday night class. Um, or two and a half hours, six thirty to nine, Wednesday night in Waterbury. Super fun. Um, if you don't like hanging around in, uh, or if you like hanging around in dark parking garages in Waterbury, um, at night, you should take night classes in Yukon Waterbury. Just um, pop on grinder. The <laughs> um, the professor um. Who I'm, I'm not going to butcher her name, but she was a wonderful person, and she um, was my favorite kind of professor in the sense that she didn't take people's shit. So she just like she's she still, wasn't. She's still alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, you, we said she was. Sorry. I, um, no, but I don't have her anymore. It's not like I, you know we're in touch or anything like that. But one of my favorite professors, and I don't know how you felt about this, that like you know, there's a lot of professors that really defer to students, and they're just like, well, students will be students, and we have to kind of conform our teaching styles and our expectations to the fact that most kids are not going to do a good job and what have you my favorite teachers are always the ones that were like i had a history professor who was like your opinion does not matter like you have to back up your just because it's your opinion doesn't mean that it holds the same weight as uh, my opinion from the real brian brown state of mind <laughs> of the professors um or I had an English professor that was the same thing about poetry. So, like, kids would come up with these fucking crazy ideas about, like, what a poem is. He's like, no, it doesn't mean that. Like, it's not what it means. And they're like, well, it's, it's subjective. And he's like, it's actually, it's actually not subjective. Like, it's just, it isn't. Um, she was kind of like that in the sense that she was like, I'm going to show you a movie. I'm going to show you this movie called Baraka um, in the first class. And if you don't like this movie, you should probably drop this class. Because... This movie encapsulates the entire way that I'm going to do this class. And so the way that she did the class is she assigned all these readings and then she kind of issued each student a religion to research and then they had to give a presentation on that religion. And the, the, the cool thing about it, I suppose, um, if you want to think it's cool, and I definitely thought it was cool, is that like you couldn't mock the religion. So like someone had to do Scientology and Christian science and... Rastafarianism. They had to present them as two. Two of those belong. One of them's fine. What? My Rastafarianism has its problems, but it's like a little. No, no. no but I'm saying, like, is that she? You couldn't say like Rastas smoke weed and listen to Bob Marley. You had to like dig into the concepts of I think cancer treatment. What it was doing. Um, no, but you couldn't like you couldn't present it at a, yeah. on a, at a low. So the thing, so if you were doing Scientology, you had to just do 
You couldn't just be like, Scientology is dumb because blah, 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 blah. You had to present it, you had to as, present it as like what it's supposed to be doing. Um, and this movie, for those who hasn't seen it, and I'm going to assume most people haven't seen it, um, it's not necessarily about religion, although religion's like a big fucking part of it. The word Baraka means a blessing in a lot of language, although Roger Ebert's great review thing ends it by saying, like, um, in Judea, uh, blah, 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 blah. Baraka, it like six I'm, different, yeah, like, I'm gonna, I'll actually words. read this. I have it right here. Baraka and Sufi, Baraka is a Sufi word meaning a blessing or the breath or the essence of life from which the evolutionary process unfolds. In Islam, generally, it is a quality or force emanating originally from Allah, but capable of transmission to objects to human beings. In Judaism, it is a ceremonial blessing. In Swahili, it means blessing. In French slang, it means good luck. In Serbian and Bulgarian, it means shack. In Turkish, it means barracks. All over the world, it is an, all over the world. It is the name of a character in Mortal Kombat video game. You know what I mean? So, like, but that, that's not like the point of the, the movie. But like, um, religion, it doesn't really have a, a, a religious component to it. Um, the but it just it it has no words. It's just music. Um, mostly, it's original music by this guy Michael Stearns. Um, but there's also some other like the you know like the the piece that we heard in the beginning of the thing that you mentioned from the mist. There's some other things. It's very um, it's very Malachy, I think, in its use of of um, of music and that it kind of interweaves original music with with um, you know already composed stuff. Um, to the point where you kind of don't really know what's what. Um, and I sat there and it was on, you know, played on a projector, DVD projector behind us. You know, it was a good classroom. Yukon Waterbury's got a lot of money. Projector behind us on a, on a, on a nice wall-sized screen. Um, was this like the 8K transfer, do you know? No, so it was, it was the, um, the DVD that I have. I don't know what that is. Okay, so there's, re- there's like the 2008 release. It got, so the 2008 Blu-ray got a DVD release like later in, in life. Because um, this is the first movie re-released in 8K, I think? Mm-hmm. This movie fucking kicked my ass. Um, in like, kick my ass is not even the best way. The word I came up with, the term I came I thought I came up with, and now unfortunately it is the album name... Of a pussifier, uh, which is Maynard James Keenan from Tools, like one of his side projects. They actually just released a record like two weeks ago called this exact thing, the phrase that I came up with, called Existential Reckoning. And what I meant by Existential Reckoning, and I had this conversation with a professor at the time, and I like I told her, it was like, this movie changed my life in a way, is that it... um ...better person, like instantaneously. In the sense that, so uh, we talked last week about how I don't feel like I'm a good person all the time, or none of the time, or any of the time. I felt like I saw what it might take to be a good person after seeing this movie. And it was, uh, it's because this movie goes from continent to continent, from uh, uh, geographical oddity to, like, man-made marvel, and shows them at, like, their most incredible. And then it goes... It digs into, in the middle of the movie, into the the blight that, you know, humanity has kind of done to the earth. And it asks you 
it doesn't try to hold you accountable for it, which I think is one of the, like I was reading a Stephen Hunter review in the Washington Post about it. He's like, if they're they're gonna show, you know, it sentimentalizes, you know, third world countries, and I was like, it totally is the opposite of sentiment <laughs> sentimentalizing a third world country. Um, it is showing you like it's not showing you. He was like, show me the toilets. Like, they're so great in third world countries. Like, what do their toilets look like? And I was like, I actually think he's... The fact that they're digging through garbage to find food shows that they're not so great. And that they're not having such a great time. Um, it just, it, like, took my fucking breath away. And I watched it the other night. I watch this pretty... I watch this movie pretty regularly um, when I need help remembering, like, how to be better and i think one of the things i'm not a religious person i'm a a spiritual person i feel like we've talked about this on the podcast before one of the things i love about this movie is all the different ways that they show people kind of like interacting with that spiritual you know that higher being with whether it be god or whether it be you know a christian god or or or, uh, you know one of many gods or whatever um it's the, the movie kind of hinges on that on that idea that there is something inside of us we all hold something inside of us regardless of where you live or what you believe um that wants to go beyond like like the baseness of human society which is you know running around cities or taking mass transit which is is exemplified here by you know the fast moving pace of the cities and, and mass transit and like the horrible horrible scenes with the with the chickens um, those planes in the Arizona naval base just like rusting out in the fucking desert. Um, those Kuwaiti fucking fire fields. Um, all this other, all those. Th- I mean, there's like a million things. There's a million different things you can show, and they're balanced out with, you know, um, all these beautiful temples that people have made in 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 honor of 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 their God and all these different ways that they have of worshiping that God. Like, you know, the Sufis and the whirling dervishes and just like spinning for fucking hours until they're high out of their minds and like just communing with God, you know, the, the Jews at the wailing wall, you know, all those, those Muslims in the, you know, at the Hajj at the, the, um, the Kaaba just kind of like spiraling. And that was the first time I've seen that. I, I, right after that, I became kind of like obsessed with the Hajj Um, and it's so much more than just like that one cube in the center. There's so much more to it. It's just like this huge, uh, it's this like huge endeavor that they have to take. Um, but I was just blown away. I mean, in, in, in the two, the, the scenes that stick out to me or the thing that I think hinges it together. I don't know how you feel about this, but there's a scene, there's two scenes where there's a person, there's one person in one scene and then there's three people in the other scene. Um, their faces is covered in white and their hair is sticking up and they're just making these really elaborate pained expressions and they're making these pained movements and they're haunting and they look like they look like real ghosts and like to to tie it to his house um they you know they're they're clearly an expression of some kind of inner sorrow and they it's it's this japanese budo dancing that like was developed kind of after the after the the dropping of the atomic bomb, they 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 developed this expression of pain, and um, and I can't get it out of my fucking head. Like when I saw it, like on on not like a, not like a cinematic movie screen, but like on a bigger screen than the TV I have at my house, um, 
I was like, I can't even know. I don't even know how anybody else in this room is just kind of processing this because I couldn't process it. It was it was existential pain on a level that I hadn't ever encountered before. But then there's also, and so the second scene that always sticks with me is the scene in the right towards the end of the movie. But I always think of it as like the middle, um, the scene on the Ganges where there's people on the Ganges. They're praying in the river. They're bathing in the river. They are ceremoniously burning their dead at the river they're, they're, it's this place where all of these things come together and it's it. the movie is kind of suggesting that like the same thing like we can all find our space here um, uh, and I just I find it so powerful and I find it so moving and it's it's, uh, it's, it's like the newest scene movie that's like at the top of my list um, but it wasn't even really like I felt bad for Rachel getting married because it was the thing that got pushed out of my top fifteen. Because I'm uh, I work on I work on fifteens, folks. Um, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I work on fifteens. I had my I don't top. Think you have, oh, okay. I work on fifteens, and it's it's rooted in this idea that me and um, my dad and his his brothers and his sister like every year for Christmas we make each other CDs, and the first CD was we we limited it to fifteen our fifteen favorite songs ever, and that was. Like 12 years ago, I think. And so 15 has become kind of like a big deal to me. So I'm always thinking my 15 favorite books, my 15 favorite movies, my 15 favorite records, my 15 favorite songs, um, my 15 favorite like pieces of art, whatever. Um, I'm 100, so I went out on this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always go. I, so 16 is always a problem for me. It wasn't a problem for me here. Uh, 16 was really easy for me here because Rachel getting married just got pushed down. So that's the thing. I had this like... I. I don't have my it on me because I changed my wallet and I hate this new wallet. I gotta get a new wallet um, that allows me to carry my list. But I have like a list, like a super folded list that looks a lot like your list. That's like barely holding on. That has all my things and has some annotations. But after I saw Barack, I was like, I gotta change my list. I was like, it's just it, this thing is just fucking incredible, and it looks unlike any other movie I've ever seen. Like from a technical standpoint, this movie was shot on seventy millimeter and this thing called Todd like Todd Ao. Yeah. Which is the only movie apparently that's been shot like exclusively on this, and then the the in like the Todd years or something? yeah Ao stock got transferred to make the to make the Blu-ray, and even Roger Ebert says this thing is there's only one reason to have like a Blu-ray, and it's to to, to watch this movie. There's the scene of the donkey pulling this cart. It's like overloaded, and the donkey is like skinny, and it's like bedraggled, and it's just struggling. That is the most real thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And uh, you can almost, it's its incredible. It's just like this perfect, I think it's just like this perfect light. That's a word. What? Bedraggled. Wow. Of course it's New a word. word. It's people say it about donkeys all the time. Um, uh, it's, 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 the, it's just fucking pain, man. It's just, but it's also beautiful. And it's also just, I don't even, I don't even really know. I, I recommend, it's on Amazon Prime now. I recommend everybody go watch this movie. And it's got, so Ron Frick did the cinematography for the Katasi trilogy, um, which is not on the Criterion channel for some stupid reason. Trilogy? So it's, it's kind of the same thing. It looks, it's movies that are exactly kind of like Baraka. Oh, is that the Regio stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at it right um, now on Wikipedia. And then he did the sequel to this is Samsara, and I don't love Samsara because it kind of it uses some of the same images that they use in here, um, and it does some other stuff. And it's it's just it's just maybe because Baraka had such a profound effect on me that Samsara just kind of is never going to have that same. Samsara is darker too, right? It's a little darker, yeah. yeah. So like, um, it 
there's a scene in, in, in Baraka where they're in China and there's um, they're at a, a brothel. And there's these these Chinese girls that are just standing outside. And he's just showing them. He's just asking you to consider them. Like consider consider a world where you know, especially you know, going forward, that, that that Crystal Cathedral in France, where everything's just got this mosaic tiles of just, and it's just fucking insane. And there's a place where like girls are that are clearly girls are. Um, having sex for money are kind of like forced into this kind of, uh, you know, this, um, this life. Um, and Barat and Samsara kind of goes further with like some of those ideas. So it doesn't just like leave you outside the brothel. It kind of really like got it. goes into it. Um, almost to the point where it almost seems like it's exploitative, where this seems very, Baraka seems very pure to me. Um, I am very interested to know what you think, Mario. Ah, okay. What was that? I'm, I was gonna guess. I was gonna guess based on your initial do it. face. Do it. No, 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 I guess. Yeah. Um, I've, as I get older, come of the feeling, and this is just told from my own perspective and experiences, that there are two types of people in this world: a global identity and a local identity mm-hmm. um the type of person who so obsesses and not obsesses but so becomes in tune with the localized world around them um that it becomes the substratum of everything they do and the global identity which is more in tune with like a humanistic angle of the fact of reducing us to our basis um mm-hmm. looking at the fact that like if despite our cultural differences despite our ideological differences we're like we're all human in our base mm-hmm. and, and that becomes more of a focus at them i am the former i am a type of person who so ties identity no matter how much i try to escape that identity ties it to like this western perspective hmm. um that i obsess over it uh hmm. you know while i was watching this the thing that kept popping in my head is how the other half lives by jacob reese mm-hmm. and about how much i'm attached to the literal sense yeah, the literary sense of of the world okay. how much i need to have not the world of the world i know mm. um and about how much that's important to me how much the i don't know if it's it's not, it's probably necessarily given my job and given like the kind of path i've taken i'm so focused in on localized problems mm-hmm. that this does nothing for me hmm. Um, in the sense that I I, I appreciate it, um, but it's I, I appreciate it from a technical and from a visual scope. I, I appreciate what it's doing. Mm-hmm. I would never begrudge it. I know it's not a film for me. I I see everything. I see most of it as foreign. I see most of it has has something that is. I don't want to say a waste of my time, but something that I get I, it though. I get what you're saying. I can't, I can't have a taste of. Well, so that's I don't, I don't see. I'm not a humanist. I, I'm, I'm I don't see humans at their base. Mm. I see humans as a conglomeration of their societal problems, and I feel as though, and the societal I, problems for us now, for you now, are more like. Here. Well, no, it's it's it always, like, but it's always it's always been that way, no right. matter where it's been. Um, and I'm the type of person who's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm not like 
not an imperialist mindset of like I can apply this elsewhere or like I can touch this because I empathize with it from my own perspective. I'm of the mind that like I know the world in which I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. I most get of it. this film feels alien to me. So, and so it's a it's an experience, mm. but it's not an experience that like has an existential punch on me. Yeah, it's an experience that makes me watch it and go like I'd much rather be reading something about. The Western experience. I, I, I am not in the sense that I feel as though this is a waste of time, but I feel as though it's not a good use of my time because I feel as though there's two different types of people. I think I get I No, I don't think I get it. I, it's, it's a weird I thing. Get, to say. It sounds no, like but really I, nationalist or whatnot, but it's not. It's, it's, it's saying that I feel as though people operate on different levels. And this is not something that speaks to me. Yeah, but it, and, and that, I think that's really interesting. I think, but I think it's pro, it, it's indicative of kind of how I feel about this movie. Is that like this is a movie that kind of shows me, or I would say it's like the first movie that showed me because I've always kind of I've I, I've always kind of felt this way. And maybe this makes me, you know, I've been I've, I gotta stop reading the stuff I'm reading. Um, reading too much. Well, I think Jason. I think your movie works really well with. My movie coming up. In I terms think it of does. Perspective. You know, God, good Mario, really fucking good, gold star, because I have my problems with your movie coming up, and they're new problems. Because, and we'll talk about it. Because, like, yeah. I've gone like the whole wave, like you know, real frequency. Dennis Quaid, Jim yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Um, don't I, don't know, I, I don't think we made head. a frequency reference in this. Um, <laughs> Just you doing like up and downs, yeah, maybe yeah, go yeah. like, oh, I remember that movie. I feel like the I feel like the same is true of that movie, where it's to that type of movie. Yeah, it absolutely. doesn't take the broader view; it stays very like narrow in its scope, and in doing so, it makes it hard for me to connect to it in a way that I want to co- uh, that I want to connect to it. I don't want to connect to it really from these necessarily just these people's point of view. I want a broader scope of what the broader scope for the context of what these people are doing. And this move, so being a person for me, I if I get too interior, it's I don't if I get too interior, it's just because I'm depressed. You know, I mean, my depression is an interiority. When I'm branching out and thinking of like the larger scope of humanity and where I fit into it and how and how my actions could maybe not influence my actions are part of a broader not plan either my actions are part of a a, a broader continuum of of or my life is is part of a broader continuum of of other people's lives everywhere. I feel like better, not just about myself because and compared to other people, but better because I'm attached to other people. And what works for me is I get so I'm so attached to a certain idea, and I'm much more of an ideology of like what can I do to fix problems mm-hmm. that I you know I stay basically in my lane, but at the same time I try to be self aware enough to realize like outside of my own lane there exist other people and as long as i say like i'm ignorant of this and i am stepping back i don't have an opinion i don't have a solution there are people who are of that yeah wavelength or of that sort of world or you know can operate on that world who will speak you know has a presidency or whatnot should be you know like experts in certain levels i know my lane and i know that 
films like this or films that have a much more, or, or literature or whatnot that has a much more global perspective doesn't speak to me. I am very much it is, westernized. Yeah. Like, I, like, I am so focused. Like, look at my entire list. My Almost my entire list is either western films or if they're not western films, they are, you know, films, foreign films that are eastern films that have a basis in a western story hmm. so i have some sort of attachment to it hmm. and watching this i was just like i was sitting there going like i'm bored and i'm like i'm bored in the sense of like i just don't have a connection to much of anything the only connection i have is to the nature moments like the hmm. moment that most had an impact to me is the the water rushing in through that little like arch awesome yeah um and i'm sitting there going like oh it's not that this is without merit. It's just that this is it's a, not speaking, speaking to, you. to me. Yeah, yeah, and I get and that's the thing, and I get it. And like, part of me wants to, like, I tried to get my wife to watch this, and she like watched half of it, and she's like, "I'm falling asleep." And part of it is because she was really tired. Like, it's just it's been a long fucking. I've, I've heard that being married to you is a tiring. <laughs> oh, tiring probably doesn't do what it must be like to be married to me justice. <laughs> um, that's why I'm still single, ladies. But it's. it's <laughs> um, but I think it's it, unless you're like, and so that's and so that was true enough to go back to the beginning of the episode. That was true enough of the people that I saw the movie with, like all the other students. And there was a students in there that I loved, that I have a deep affection for, and that if I ever publish a book, I'm going to say like, you know, acknowledgments, you know, you know, all these other people. What are you doing? Acknowledgments. Well, Mario, for sure. You already got a book. You already got one. I want more. You got, <laughs> you got Marcus Witt's look. What, like seventeen? Um, that I had a lot of respect for. That were just like unfazed by this movie. But I, I think, or I think Chris, I think did Chris Gardner take this class? He didn't take it with me. He took it after me, maybe, and he saw it. And I don't know how I felt. I, should, I gotta but fucking call Chris Gardner. I think, I think your existential comment works for this because, like, in its sense, it does the same thing to me. It just makes me realize my lane. Well, so that's the thing. So that's the thing. So it probably makes you want to go like, it probably makes you want to go if like they were having a, if you turn this on and you were just kind of like bored and you looked at your phone and depending on what time of day it was and you were like, oh, they're having like a rally for something uh, and like you know, Hamden, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know blah, what blah. I started doing watching this movie? I started reading amicus briefs about California versus Texas. Perfect. I know my lane. Yeah, exactly. But then that's the thing. So for me, one of the, it did, it went beyond the idea of lane and it confirmed a lot of the things that I had thought about myself in terms of like spirituality and all this other stuff and the amorphous nature of what it means to be a spiritual person. It's not just about... I mean, I'm a reincarnationist, so like my entire definition of spirituality is on that. Exactly, but that's the thing. So it's, but it's not about just being Christian. It's not about just being this one thing. It's about being everything. You know what I mean? It's about all these things. It's about the Ganges River. It's about all these people coming together on this one spot to do all these different things and to be all these different people. And again, they're all worshiping the same stuff. There isn't like a whole bunch of people that are kind of doing like... There's like a Wiccan ritual happening like on one end of this this you know spot of the Ganges, and there's you know some very traditional Indian things happening on the other. Um, it's not where's Waldo situation, right? Yeah, it's not where's Waldo, although like you know it has that it has its it's, it looks very crowded. Um, it's just about the idea that like there's all these stages of life happening simultaneously, and they're all ha- all these stages of life they're all happening simultaneously, and they're all happening on this one spot, and they're all, it's all because of. It's like a spiritual gathering place. It's like and, a spiritual kind of nexus of but the universe. But beyond that, like when they're digging through the trash, all I can think about is like, oh. There's people the, sleeping the, on the green in New Haven. Exactly. Yeah. And I, all I can think about was like, 
our like the current problems here because I'm like, oh, this is something where I understand the policy and capitulation of everything coming together and could probably affect change. Yep. Whereas like stuff like this, like like I, I end up having um a bit of anxiety because I'm like, I don't know what you can't help those people. What to do. Yeah. About that. There's nothing I can I'm not, not that I'm I don't. global I'm not a global person. Right. I feel I can feel empathy for that, but I've always operated, and maybe I'm trying to work against it, like a problem solver type. So, like, like, and, and that's actually exactly the moment where I thought about how the other half lives. Yeah, it's like just like I focused in on like what can I do locally to do, and you know, so it still works. Like, I'm it not works. Yeah, at all suggesting. No, no, I'm not saying that you are. Yeah, and I hope. Oh, no, I know all, you're not. I'm, I hope that I'm all talking our to our yeah. 16 listeners. That's, that, that half of them are like <laughs> Mario hates indie <laughs> people. Yeah, but um. No, and, and that's the thing. It's just like it is, it is a, a production where you can see like, oh right. Um, I don't know. I feel like for me, it's just something where I can see. Oh, this is this this had a realization where, it didn't connect with me at a certain level because of where I am. I'm very very satisfied with 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 this conversation. You just came on my table. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Beautiful. Are you we'll still right, satisfied? We'll be right back with Mario's number 12. <laughs> Welcome back. You turned your mic off. All right, I forgot I turned my mic off. Welcome back. <laughs> I never get to do the welcome back. Are you happy? Yeah. Nice, isn't it? Not really. <laughs> kind of blue balled by it. Um, it's weird how over the last couple weeks, well, we kind of planned the Halloween thing. Like, thirteen was coming up, Halloween was coming up. Well, we and, planned this the the spacing of the episodes. Yeah, but today I didn't realize that Veterans Day. We did not a couple days ago. And yep, my movie works perfectly. Yep. Um, we have shit on Hacksaw Ridge a lot in this podcast, rightfully so, right? Uh, yeah. Hacksaw Ridge is an abomination. Well, I wouldn't say it's an abomination. For me, it's an abomination. And not an abomination-style beer, which is two for three now. Um, but I've always said how war films play a pretty pivotal role mm -hmm. in my history of film. Uh, we talked about with Walt Bashir. We talked about Bridge Over Require. I appreciate a good war movie. Mm -hmm. um, we have one more film coming up that's that's a political heavy film. Um, Next week? No. Two weeks? Where it is on my new list, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, but for me, the war movie was really important in speaking to me into the type of person I became. I come from a background that is very, uh, fairly conservative. Neither of my parents voted for Trump this term. Yeah, They both voted for nobody in the top of the ballot. But fine. they're Connecticut. It's fine. Whatever. Uh, but film in general and war films in general helped, had a good shaping of, like, this doesn't make sense. This is wrong. Mm-hmm. This is terrible, and it kind of built towards, surprisingly, my pacifist mindset. Mm. As much mm. as I love a good, gory horror movie mm -hmm. or a good, violent action film, 
you know, real violence is a not something I'm a fan of. Mm. Um, and war films are something where I feel like you gotta play the line between showing the violence and showing the humanity mm-hmm. of things. Uh, and one war movie in particular, um, and this is kind of a double, a double film for me on this list. Okay. Um, the one unspoken one being Schindler's List, the movie I refused to rewatch. Mm. Um, and this film kind of bled together the entire opinion of where I'm like, fuck all of that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, this movie doesn't drip with the... Pa- doesn't Even though it shows like the stars and stripe, it doesn't drip with patriotism. It drips with family and, and the sense of camaraderie between people around you or... or between those close to you. It, it is not something that hews closely to this patriotic sense of bullshit because patriotism is nonsense. Mm-hmm. This movie shows the grungy, the violent, the profane, the awful, the terribleness of it all without reveling in it. And this film is Steven Spielberg's 1998 Saving Forever Ryan. Some private in the 101st lost three of his brothers, and he's got a ticket home. It's not going to be easy to find one particular soldier in the whole damn war. Very forgettable. Uh, I'm not going to do a plot recap of Saving Private Ryan. Um, Matt Damon is a, you know, a brother, and his brothers have died. And Tom Hanks, Tom Sizemore and company, um, Heidi Fleiss not included, have to save. Hey, come on, that's <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> Whenever you mention Tom Sizemore, you have to bring up Heidi Fleiss. Um, have to save Matt Damon. As one is wont to do when Matt Damon's involved, he always needs saving. And, you know, a bunch of bad shit happens. Um, and eventually, you know, Matt Damon saved. That's the, the plot of Saving Private Ryan. This is in the Korean War? Yeah. I believe it's actually the War of 1812. Oh, this is be, a Patriot sequel. That'd be funny. It's a Roland Emmerich film. That'd be good. Um, the reason, in the most trite way, that this film works for me is for its second sequence. Uh, probably now withstanding one of the most famous sequences in modern film. Second sequence, you said? The second scene of the film. Oh, oh which is? The, the D-Day scene. It's at the, I, consider, I thought that well, was it opens, the first. Well, it opens with him at the Grand Oh, Grand yeah. I fucking hate the book ending. Yeah, this the book ending. I fucking hate it. I'm doing the Jackoff symbol once again. Um... I, I saw this film right after it was released on VHS. Um, mm-hmm. Just like I had saw 
uh, Schindler's List right after it was released on VHS, which is a movie. You were too young, I think, because I went to see this movie. I I could have seen this movie when I was in school, but same right, right? Yeah, but we were bad and Schindler's List, but we were no or, or I couldn't have seen Schindler's List, but school kids a little older than me saw it for school, and then same around the same thing. But our class was shitty, so we didn't get to go because they didn't trust us to go to a movie. Why are you saying I'm too young? Because they weren't taking kids your age to see Schindler's List in the movies. Oh, no. I'm saying my parents decided I could watch Schindler's List and Save a Private Ryan on VHS. Sure. But yeah, that's a, your parents' decision. Which, um, actually, no. I saw Save a Private Ryan on DVD, if I remember right. Laserdisc? Or... No, it was on VHS. Okay. It was soon after I the saw it. The two, the box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Which Schindler's List, I didn't think I was going to actually sit down and watch it. And when I fucking freaked out with the girl in the red dress on the pile of bodies, mm-hmm. they realized I was watching it. Mm-hmm. And they had to console me for 15 minutes. And then when I guess they thought I could handle Saving Private Ryan, sure. which I could. I mean, I was, when I saw Saving Private Ryan, I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a movie a well-rounded 12-year-old could watch. I think so. I mean, this. I don't have children, but I think I thought my whole fucking life is framed by them now. So, like, when I was watching it, I was like, "There's a lot of legs flying all over the place," and you know, I think your older one could handle it. I think so. I I, handle it is is not the word I would use. You conceptualize it. I think you could. She she could understand it. Yeah, she She could understand. Yeah, and and the reality with a conversation, she could figure out why it's important. I would assume your oldest is. At or slightly beyond where I was at that point, and I could conceptualize it. So maybe in, I I don't know how like you were intellectually at ten, but she's never seen. She would not have seen anything oh, she's like 10. this. So I mean, in two years, she'd be able to handle. it. I think so. I, I think she probably could. Um, so I saw this at twelve, um, and I remember watching with my dad, and my dad thinking the D Day scene was cool, mm. like fun. It was not. And nothing about... And me being confused. It's like the opposite of fun. By that opinion. Because nothing about it was fun. Everything about it was traumatic. Mm. This is the best word to use for it. Um, everything about this film is traumatic. This film is trauma after trauma. Uh, for me. Um, you know... Caparzio's death actually doesn't hit me much. But like when Wade dies... And he just realizes he's dying. Like, well, nothing about that's fun. They lean heavily. He knows his liver shutting down. The mama stuff is always where, what gets me about like that. Yeah, and, um, and it's just you know. But I remember watching this, going like, you know, this doesn't feel theatrical. I mean, it's shot really well. Janice Kaczynski, Janice Kaminsky's like one of his his. To me, his best shot film. This is um, at least ostentatious Janice Kaminsky film. Yeah, uh, one of Michael. This is one of Michael Kahn's. No, Michael Kahn's not dead. Who am I thinking of? Died. Um, Michael Kahn, you know, does a superb job editing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember watching this going like, this isn't being presented as an action movie. The DJ sequence and nothing in this film feels as though it's being played up. For real dramatic effect in the sense of... Well, yeah. In the sense of, like, playing 
to the emotion of the audience. It is, but at the same time, it isn't. Yeah. And I think the opening scenes need really a hallmark of that. And I, I'm going to focus mostly on the opening scene because that is the pivotal scene for me. Um, you know, opening on the vomiting and the quiet for two minutes until the door finally opens and the first five <laughs> row of people get flattened. And you're sitting there going like, that's a waste. And I remember it was the first time I ever watched a film. And David Cronenberg talks about this when he's talking about killing people in movies. Mm. About how it's years of experience being cut. Like, Cronenberg's an atheist and thinks... And an atheist doesn't really apply, but Cronenberg is a person who thinks when you die, it's over. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, I want to have my death have impact. Yep. Um, and I remember I was seeing this and, and watching those people get shot and watching just so many people get shot. And I'm like, no impact. Hundreds. But no, it has. Imp- it had an impact. No, no, but like it has an impact for you. But like in the context of the movie, it's just like but the way it's presented kind of does. Because as you're watching, because you, you sit with those people for a second and the door opens and everyone's dying. You're looking at that going like hundreds of years of experience are just being wiped out. Sure. Fuck yeah. Absolutely. Just numerous stories, numerous ideas, numerous amounts of creativity for fucking nothing. For some charismatic dumb fuck with a shitty mustache and a crippled on the other side of the ocean. Well, it was a much less, much less of an asshole. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should on FDR for a really quick second. Like all of these people fighting and dying who have much to give the world just for nothing. And mm-hmm. I sat there watching this as a kid going like, this is senseless. And everything continues on and there's so much gore and violence, but I'm just like, I'm not having fun with this. Like it's, considered an exhilarating scene video games have mimicked it for decades since like it was call of duty in 2017 mimicked it how Medal did they mimic it they, they try to present like that same moment of like intensity and, and drama in the dd scene but can i i mean i want to step in and say that you're right you are right and those people aren't right and i suppose your dad isn't right in the sense that there's no drama here you just assume everyone's going to die. And when people don't die, you're not like, oh, good, they lived. You're like, they're going to die eventually. Like, you're not saying to yourself, like, mm, the heroes are winning. You're just yeah. like, just for a little bit, and then they're going to die. Yeah. And every I, step that they take closer to, like, you know, that bunker thing, you're just like, well, they're going to die here. And then when they actually win, you're just like, Whatever they eventually. do next, they're gonna die. And but I think what I think the masterful thing of the sequ- of the of the sequence is like, you know, you watch these people and you're hoping someone they make it through somehow. Or yeah. Hoping. Well, you not know they not, do. No, I suppose you're not you hoping. You're not hoping you're, they make it through. You're hoping it ends. I remember. You just want it to end. Yes. In the first like ten <clears throat> minutes of that scene, no matter how great that scene is, I want it to fucking, fucking end. Stop. Yep. Every time Absolutely. I watch it. Yep. Um. And that does end. And as it ends, you know, they shout out, like, let them burn. Don't shoot them, let it burn. And you're like, oh, they're fucking also, like, they're not bad. And it goes into the weird context of, like, what happened during D-Day, of the fact that, like, most of the people on the German side weren't even, like, really 
top level German soldiers themselves are mostly like Czech soldiers who had trained for like a couple days and mm-hmm. were kind of pulled and we're going to be like, you can die in a concentration camp or you can like fight mm-hmm. here. And it makes you go like, all of this is fucking senseless. Like, I remember watching this going like, this means yep. fucking nothing. Like, all these people who have so much to give the world and everything are fighting. And this is where this movie came together for me going like, fuck war. Like, fuck yeah. all of this. Because I'm like, you know what they sh- you know what both sides should have done? Turned around and blew the brains out of the side leading them. Saying, go into war. Mario. And, and this, this led to my entire... This movie sets the trajectory of me being like the rise of the proletariat sort of thing of like, you know what? When something doesn't make sense, fucking turn on the people telling you to do it. Well, I mean, uh, so you should... Be and which is, which is a weird thing you, to say about World War II movies. No, 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 it's probably not, Because I though. see something you, like Night in Fog. Like, there's clearly a very well-delineated villain in this. But the good guys... On the American side, definitely sided with somebody who ended up being well, a so we worse can, villain. We can which go, could be a long conversation. We can go. But, but here's the thing. So, like, there, I mean. This is luck, a weird no, Saving Private Ryan luckily conversation. Luckily for us, we're at. But, and I want to go into a little bit of context here. Luckily, we're at a 135. We're doing good. We got time to kill. Yeah. We've done way longer episodes about way worse movies than Saving <laughs> Private Ryan. So my wife saw this for the first time all the way through, just watching it for this. And I was confounded. I didn't know how that happened, that she had made it to 35 and to 2020 and hadn't seen Saving Private Ryan all the way through. But she said the same thing. Like, what is the point of this? Like, not what is the point of this, like, what is the point of this movie? But, like, what is the point of all of this death? Like, it's just so much fucking death. And having, as someone who has spent a lot of time thinking about World War I... I was just kind of like, well, in context of modern warfare, World War II makes like a little bit of sense because they were so like they threw all the rules out the window in World War One, but they had scaled back the level of like just to- complete and total destruction because everybody had the ability to completely and fucking totally annihilate the other side if they wanted to. You know what I mean? They just had that ability. Absolutely. So D-Day is really an interesting example of that. Because everyone had the same machinery. It's just it's just from where they were standing. You know what I mean? The Germans had this position and the the, the those fucking boats pulling up on the beaches of Normandy were in the total worst position that they could be in. So but it wasn't about mechanics. It wasn't about and it wasn't about will. It was just about position. You know what I mean? Because if the Americans were on the other side they would have dismantled them in the exact same way. Watching it on this most recent time, too, I was thinking a lot about the idea. So I, I took this class. I talk, I talk a lot about my college experience, my having my late in life, late in life college experience um, has like changed my entire life. And so I just know so many more things now that like I was able to pay attention and be a real person while like going to school and learning some shit. And I took a class about. Um, uh, the immigrant experience in America, and I, we read one of our the things we read is these primary documents of of all these memos and stuff that the American government was sending, like it, you know intergovernment memos about like World War Two, and you know what America didn't want to have any part of, like at the beginning of was World War Fucking Two. You know what they didn't want to help? Who they didn't want to help at all? The fucking Jews. They didn't weren't interested I mean, at all in helping the Jews. I mean, we talked about was it Night Out, the documentary? Yeah, Night, February nineteen thirty nine. There was a Nazi. 
huge Absolutely. gala at Madison Square Garden. The American night out government. Is, that's about seven months before yep. the Germans. The American Poland. government did not want to take in Jewish refugees that were fleeing for their fucking lives from the goddamn Nazis. Same thing happening right now in Darfur and everything else. I mean, it's 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 amazing when you think about it in this context. And like whether or not Steven Spielberg knew this shit or not. I think he does. I, I mean, it's hard. It's, it's really fucking hard to say. That he's not ending, having. He's not having. I mean, the he's book not end, having fun. The, the book, end, book ending thing is fucking gross. The book end thing's gross, but I think the book end thing's there because it feels like it needs for some reason to be there. It feels like it needs to be there in 1998. But there's, I feel like if Spielberg makes like look at seven years later when he makes Munich, he doesn't book end shit. He doesn't. There's no twist to Munich. Yeah. There's like, I a, think, there's like a twist here. It's like, oh, it's not Tom Hanks. It's Ryan, and Tom Hanks is dead. You know, oh, why is that important? I mean, I why hate, I hate to bring this up, but like, I mean, I hate to, to mention, I, I, I don't know if like 9-11 played, played a role in that, but he's just like, he allows Munich to linger in its brutality. Yep. Where he doesn't allow Save and Private Ryan to because he needs to bookend it. And I don't know if that played a role in it, mm-hmm. where like, people are just like, yeah, this is how, like, because we had this belief before then, like, we're past this. But here's is... I don't know. That, that's right. presumption. I think, point. No, I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. Is that he couldn't make the same movie But I think he, he makes Saving Private Ryan five years later and that bookend's gone. I think so too. And But and the bookend, I, I suppose, it works from a, uh, from a patriotic level. And if, you, if you're really in love with the idea of patriotism on its... Which I don't on, think on he a, cares about. Surface, I don't think he cares about it either. But I think it was important that he established... I think because of the nature of the movie, it was important that he established a good versus evil. And I think that's where the Upham character is a failure in the sense that Upham is a failure as a person. Oh, again, we should we kind of call it Armand White. I mean, he just wrote a book about, like, make Steven Spielberg great again. That's the name of the hey, book. Really? Make Spielberg great again, yeah. Um, a real bad Bridge of Spies fan, huh? I guess. Um... I'd be interested to know what he thinks about this stuff because, like, for me, there's there's a clear delineation between between right and wrong. You know, obviously not strong in the Americans, right? But it has nothing to. This movie has nothing to do with Nazis. You know what I mean? Mm. It's got nothing to do with Nazis. It has everything to do with Tom Hanks's uh, perception of what he is a as a as a. a as a person, and not even as an American, but I suppose that's implied, is giving up for this war. What all people, maybe not Germans, gave up to fight this war. Or give up to fight all wars. You know what I mean? Like the clip we heard at the beginning of the thing. Like he's a, in Pennsylvania, he's just a teacher. You know, he's just a guy and his, his, um, expertise on the battlefield and you know maybe not even expertise but his his um ability to kind of you know read you know adjust on the fly and order men around and lead men um is he thinks of as so much different than his ability to do that like as a as an english teacher in in, in pennsylvania um but i think this so to the point where i think D-Day presents one picture and then the movie gets really complicated. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, D-Day is like American versus Germans. Americans are on the boat. They're getting slaughtered and the idea is to get... And then they win. 
and then Dennis Farina comes and just like fucks everything up. You know what I mean? And then it be- the movie becomes more complicated. And it becomes less about this person versus this person, and it becomes about the inner struggle of these eight guys. Oh. You know what I mean? And, and then it's not so easy. Yeah, see... I don't necessarily still buy that. Buy what? Buy, like, buy like this inner... inner like it's obviously like the inner struggle of all of them um, in terms of, you know, rebit like... Edward Burns, who I forgot disappeared off the face of the earth as an actor. Mm-hmm. Where'd he go? He was kind of doing something. Um, like, the internal struggle and all that's there, but, like, I don't still feel as though there's this, like, dichotomy between good and evil. In I don't think there is either, and that's the thing. I think the beginning like is everyone, a dichotomy between good and evil, and then after that, it stops. Well, everyone talks about, like, like the Steamboat Willie character and all that being... And... and you know, like when Upham has like mercy and everything, and everyone's like tries to have this like moralistic opinion on that. I'm mm-hmm. like, but that's a human opinion on things, you know, and that that's the struggle of this film. That what I think do you mean works. a human opinion? Well, in this in the fact that like the way I've always seen this film and the way I always take this film is there's two. Very juxtaposed, not juxtaposed. There's two very like divisive sides mm-hmm. of it, but then it reduces all of that to the minutia of like human and human mm-hmm. and similarity and similarity. And you know, when you tear apart the ideology of it all, mm-hmm. like it is person and person sort of thing. And I, I sit there going, like, and I, and I know the popular culture of like Upham is a fucking moron sort of thing, but like I don't see that. I still mm. see like. He made the right human choice. Like, mm. I can't see myself making a different choice than Upham makes. Mm. But it, does it bother you at all that he makes, in the end, he makes the right choice? What, like, he kills, kills that one guy and then lets everybody else go? There's a vengeance no, no, quality I, I to dislike, that? No, no, I dislike the vengeance quality. I think all of that sucks. And I think that also is meant to kind of suck. I mean, maybe is it? It's it's. I don't know. That that's a kind of a weird scene. Like, there's like a righteous justice there to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, for me, when I watched this as a kid, I was like, Upham just like removed all his humanity. And to me, like, all this is about stripping away. Because the thing to me that I watch this that matters. Okay. You're, yep. So yep. the reason yep. Save a Private Ryan works for me yep. is your country and all that doesn't fucking matter. It's all about your humanity. It's all about the humanity and what you connect to. It's what you take in versus what you're probably going like, to take out. Like, if there was, like, I watch this and go, like, would I be on one of those boats? Fuck no. Nope. Because what matters to me is, like, if my circle of people threatened, I'll fight for that. But I don't give a fucking shit about ideas. And I'm ruining my political career right now. Except for my local political career. Because I care about New Haven. Hmm. Can be mayor. It's more than Justin Elliker cares. So. No, Justin Elliker actually really cares about New Haven. Uh, Justin just, just Elliker does not give a shit about New Haven. Justin Elliker gives a shit about whatever his next job is going to be, which he hopes is going to be governor. So? Oh, yeah. Well, I would fight back against that. He's a little bit of a do nothing. He's not going to do wrong. He's not going to like. Fight. This is not, not podcast arguments, but this is a. Doesn't matter. Um, um, but no, like, like I watch this and go like. I don't give a... And I watched this as a kid. I was like, I don't give a fuck about ideas. Like, what was happening 
globally. I don't know. Maybe. See, it's I, funny. I, I don't know. It's weird. It's it's like it's. I hate to say this, but like, because it's it's all this indoctrination of mind. But like, what was happening was morally wrong. But I remember watching this personally, going like, all these people have these individual loves, individual experiences. And that's what matters to them. And why fight for some stupid fucking thing? Mm. Which is weird to say about World War II. Because yeah. <laughs> World War II, as presented by American propaganda, is um, so didactically defined. Mm-hmm. And it is. Like, like I see Nine Fog and like clearly there was an evil there. But when resaddled in comfortably to a different evil to fight against this evil i wonder necessarily what was right i wonder what was right i I need you to clarify that more because that sounds well i'm talking i'm talking like the stalin aspect of it when we just can defeat a a common evil um so you're saying we should have no you're not i don't i don't know i'm not a world war ii guy i don't give a fuck about world war ii as i talked about Earlier on the episode of Baraka, all I care about is American history because that's my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're going to talk about Civil War, I'll talk about Civil War. Um, but watching this, all I knew was that it, it bred in me this entire idea of I care about my circle. And I care about the mm-hmm. things that are closely tied to me. And I will not fight and die for an idea because I think that's ridiculous i think the second a a war comes into fighting and dying for an idea the two sides who are meant to fight and die for that idea should turn around and fight against the people creating that idea that's what saying forever i did to me Hmm. was i looked at that going like the american bureaucracy should have been upteaved by america and the europeans should have See, but I disagree because I think in reality the Americans should have been able and to... And I don't know. Like, obviously, like, my knowledge of... But the Americans... So, uh, there was a lot of countries in the American... Uh, America was one of them and England was one of them. You know, weren't, weren't the only two countries, but I suppose we were the most significant countries. To look at... To literally go to Germany to look at what Hitler was doing and be like, it's fine. He's, you know, whatever he's doing, he's just, you know... He seems like he's a passionate guy, whatever. That's a, That's a thing. We sat by for yeah. fucking nine years while Franklin Delano Roosevelt was, like, cuddling up to whatever could approve the... I mean, as a super liberal, I have a weird opinion of the fact that I hate FDR. I was say, you can't really hate FDR because you want to do... Cur- you currently want to do FDR things right now. No, I want to do super FDR things, but I think FDR steals most of his ideas... From well, the idea of Francis the, Perkins, but the idea of theft of ideas is not really significant in the sense that, like, a lot of these he people does steal all of his ideas from but Francis it, Perkins. But it doesn't the matter. Entire the, Roosevelt, con- the entire Roosevelt family is fucking garbage. But it doesn't matter in the context of World War II because no, no, in the context of World War II, it was that he once again I'm talking benefit, about global ideas versus local ideas. Right. It's a benefit. So it's a benefit to America to stay out of World War II for as long as humanly possible until it couldn't stay out of World War II anymore. And I think one of the problems that I've always had with American World War II films is that it always positions America as like the single liberating force. The Jesus in World War II. But in reality, the only reason that America is could have been the single liberating force is because all of these other European nations that were that were opposing Hitler were fucking ruined by the time like the war ended. By the time Hitler started making all of his mistakes and like left himself open for 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 defeat, 
America was the only country left standing that still had like an army intact. Like every like all these other places were totally almost razed to the ground. Which is why I have respect for I mean I dislike what Truman does, but respect for Truman being like fucking ended. Yeah. When Truman gets in there and be it's like we have to like I hate the bomb, but like when he goes in there and be, he's like looks at the utilitarian good and is like just end this war. There's and that's we're going to go back and forth. I don't know if I'm going to go back and forth, but someone could go back and forth with you on that forever. Well, there's much smarter people who could argue, but I think much more eloquently about this. I don't really have a problem with Saving Private Ryan. I think the interesting thing about Saving Private Ryan is that I went like kind of up and down in the sense that like for a while I was kind of unmoved by Saving Private Ryan. I was like, D-Day is amazing. I can take or leave the rest of the movie. The thing that and then I would go and then I would go through these periods where I would just like Saving Private Ryan is unbelievable. You know what? Just I just one scene has a kid bugged me. It's when he's pulling that radio operator back and forth. Like Miller pulls him back, pulls him back, and his face is gone. And I'm like, and he's just like so flippant about it. And I'm like, I want to end a world in which we flippantly disregard a bot, a person who's dead. Sure. And anybody who doesn't, who honors a past in which we can flippantly get rid of a body doesn't belong in society. But that's, I think, my... my I don't want to say problem, because I have a lot of respect for this movie, and I think... And it, but I think that's... I think it's what happened. Because I think uh, you look at so many people who talked about like the D-Day scenes of this film and be like, but for me, it's this, true. But to think, for me, this scene is... This movie is not about the D-Day scene. This movie is about the, way, the post-Wade sequence where he gives a speech that we heard at the beginning of the episode... And then, like, the Ryan speech about, like, him and his brothers and the thing. And that we're equating, we're allowed, the movie is suggesting, and I think this is where Steven Spielberg is maybe not the best person to make these movies, is that we're allowed to forget, not forget, forget Lars Ron Schreer to do this. Well, you know me. Um, We're allowed to kind of equate and think on parallel lines about the idea of Wade being dead, maybe killing this German soldier. So death, 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 versus, is that, I don't That's my computer. Okay, I was going to say, because nothing's coming up on me, and I'm just worried that it's going to destroy our recording. Versus... I forgot to turn my sound down. Tom Hanks saying, these things don't matter as long as I get to go home. One of his guys just died in the pursuit of Ryan. And what he's saying in his speech is, fine, as long as I get to go home. Which I guess is true. And I guess we're supposed to find that admirable in the sense that anybody who gets to come home from this is not just a hero, but a winner. Is that how you take it? And it doesn't... It, it, I don't take it that way. It doesn't... It just seems... but. The placement of it in the context of the movie, like where he's only going to divulge these things because this very important figure in their group just died. Like, it seemed, it just seems weird. Thing, what is what is being won here doesn't square with what is lost. See, the thing I took from that is him giving perspective of he's seen Miller seen as this like a heroic figure this bigger-than-Dow figure at this point. And he's like, you people aren't 
my circle. You people aren't close to me. All I give a shit about is getting this job done so I get to my circle. I'm forced to yeah. be here. I'm forced to do this wherever we do to get back to the people who matter to me. I mean, I could think of... So are you saying that in that speech he's suggesting that you people don't matter to me? Yeah, that's how it feels to me. Hmm. That's how it's always felt to me. I think that's wrong, but I also get it. Like, I don't, I 100% well, feel I that think, that's I not think, what's... I think, I think, I think that's what I think his read. speech is saying, his speech is saying, like, I, I always felt his speech is saying, like, think of it this way for yourself, too. I would argue that Spielberg definitely doesn't mean that. I think he 100% doesn't mean that. But I think that the, the vagaries of this film and what it's trying to prove versus what it's not trying to prove promote that kind of thinking about it. In the sense that it's unclear what his real motivation is. In the sense that I think it's unclear what the real motivation of the Ryan thing is. So all that kind of like apocalypse now light uh, bureaucracy that happens in the beginning of the movie, which is fucking awful. That when they go back to, you know, when they go see the, the car pull up. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. That's just that's a fucking travesty. Um, I mean, it reminds it, me of the worst moments of Darabont in like Green Mile. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! It's so Darabont. It almost seems like he's ripping off Darabont, and that that John Williams <laughs> score seems like it's ripping off. Um, did no John Williams didn't do the scores for no not Green Mile. Who did the score? I did. Someone we should fucking know. You look that up. Um, I think the movie seems very confused as to what it's. Like end goals are supposed to be. Yeah, would it be? I'm guessing. Would it be a Zimmer score? Howard Short. Oh, no. I bet you. Not Howard Short. No. Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman. We should have fucking known that Mario. God, we're terrible. <laughs> we're terrible. We talked about Thomas Newman for like a you know like a month. Back like seven not months su- ago or whatever. Not surprising that oh. Thomas Newman score. But that's the thing. So it seems like it should have all that stuff going for it. I, 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 I got, and it's funny. I get a little bit. I get this feeling a little bit with Schindler's List too, but definitely not as much. That Steven Spielberg. Schindler's List is a much better movie. Yeah. I just. I. We've talked about this. I can't put Schindler's List on my list because I watched it when I was. I actually owned the DVD. Mm-hmm. I watched it when I was seven years eight years old seven mm-hmm. or eight years old and I refuse to watch it again. here's what I would say about that is that I think Schindler's List the juxtaposition between Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan is this is that when Schindler when Steven Spielberg made Schindler's List Steven Spielberg was more of a director still than an idea of a director so yeah he had just made you know he's making Jurassic Park and well, Jurassic Schindler, Park and but Schindler's he's making, List are the same exactly year. he's making Jurassic Park and Schindler's List simultaneously you know, he's got his E.T. under his belt. But between E.T. and Jurassic Park, there's a really complicated list of movies there. And whether or not they all work or don't work, they're all really interesting and are all doing different stuff. You know what I mean? And then Schindler's List kind of comes and blows all that shit up. And he makes a really dark movie with really dark things and he doesn't sh- themes and he doesn't shy away from both the visual imagery of what he's supposed to be of what he wants to say, but he doesn't. He also doesn't shy away from the message. You know what I mean? The message is very clear with Schindler's List. By Saving Private Ryan, the idea of Steven Spielberg as Steven Spielberg, the idea 
of a director, I think is very prevalent. Which it's, is funny because he only directs Lost World and Amistad between these two but movies. But I think, but Amistad, I think, is a real. I think Jurassic Park also sets in. Sure. It, 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 it makes him. Because he goes through like a bad time. Like, between. Like, Raiders and E.T., he has like. The Indiana Jones sequels, but he in color purple, but he also has like Empire of the Sun, which isn't a huge but that's the thing. sale. He has always Hook, like he's going through a down spiral. Like but it's not. Spiral. I don't know. I wouldn't even call the color purple and Empire of the Sun a down. Spiral. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying. I'm saying. No, they, no, no. They're there, but they're not like. But that's what I'm saying. Is that for a while he thought he could make other movies, and then like. He became pigeonholed as this blockbuster filmmaker who, when he made Schindler's List, was kind of like an amazing thing. This, this, this director made Schindler's List. But by Saving Private Ryan, he had already had Schindler's List under his belt. You know, he's a blockbuster. He so he's won his Oscar. He's a blockbuster filmmaker. Had who, Jurassic Park, which yeah. is the biggest film in the 90s. But then he also made a sequel. You know what I mean? Yeah. He made Amistad, which is kind of a joke for however like good it might be. It's also ridiculous. You know what I mean? Um, you can't say that as a New Haven person. I could totally say it. Um, I saw I saw Amistad with a class, and it was um, it's bad. I was just like, this is Saving Private Ryan wants. It seems like it wants to have its cake and eat it too. It wants to be like a really deeply profound World War Two thing, but also it wants to be patriotic, but also kind of which is like universal. Which is why he falls into a rut until Munich. I think so. It's it's it. Saving Private Ryan becomes like a weird. I mean, again, Saving Private Ryan is better than every single other movie that was nominated for an Oscar. On the in the Oscars, that year, it just is, it just is. You could feel what you want about Gods and Monsters and Affliction. I mean, I could talk. Just read the Vanity Fair article about Shakespeare and Love, Shakespeare yeah. and Love, and Saving Private Ryan, to realize the monster that was that fat fucking. Piece of shit. Yeah. Troll of a person. Um, oh, and it's ten times the movie Shakespeare Love will ever be, or ever imagine that it could ever be. No hatred to Tom Stoppard. Sure. And Gwyneth Paltrow's fine in it. Um, everything's fine in that movie. John Madden's direct... Everything about that movie's fine. Fine. But it's... it. When I watch it now, it makes me feel weird. I don't feel... I feel like a profound loss that this is a thing that I know happened. And it makes me kind of, it makes me think that like, you know, movies like 1917 are really like, it's a ripoff artist movie. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, for like, sure. However, for sure. however intense 1917 thinks it's being. Three times I've done this. For every, for every like tracking shot. You know that it does in one take, and you know Adam, not Adam, George McKay is, uh, you know, not falling down on purpose. He wasn't meant to fall down, but we kept filming, and he fell down and got up. You know, none of that stuff equates to anything that's happening in Saving Private Ryan. No, I I feel like the only war movie that even comes close to doing something different from this movie was going to be from the same year. What are you gonna say? Thin Red, Red Line. Line? Yeah. Oh, Thin Red Line's good. No, I was thinking from later on. Um, this is gonna be 
a tough sell to you. I think Letters from Iwo Jima does something different. I like it. I like Letters. I like those the two Clint Eastwood. I don't like Flags of Our Fathers, but no, I, think I think Letters from Iwo Jima is doing a lot different of a thing. I like Flags from Our Fathers aesthetically. I think Stevens. I think Clint Eastwood at that time was firing on all cylinders and could and could make a realistic World War Two film like really really well. Letters from Iwo Jima is great because it's like. Here's the other side, and it's really solid on that. The level. idea that Steven Spielberg put a twist in this movie makes me want to throw up in my mouth. The twist of Ryan yeah. at the gravesite wants makes me want to fucking die. It's interesting it when is I watched fucking awful. When I saw this movie, I the first time I saw this movie, I did not think it was Miller. I never thought it was Miller at the gravesite. I don't think I ever thought it was. I I, I thought it was Edward Burton's character initially maybe, when yeah, I saw yeah, it. Yeah. But I, you know what I, I always knew Tom Hanks was going to So I'm, I'm super bitter now, and I watched it maybe at a bad time or whatever. You know what kind of fucked me up watching it this re- most recent time? Edge of Tomorrow. No, no, not like another movie. The fact that uh, Ryan's wife seems disinterested, seems a little irritated, doesn't seem to understand what's happening... Which means that Ryan didn't explain why, like, even though he's like, my whole family is here, and they're just trailing behind him, didn't explain why seeing this guy's marker at Arlington would be a significant thing for him. Well, even though... Because she seems super the, fucking pissed off. Even the Wikipedia article suggests he never talked about it. But why? If I... This, which, which actually, actually, to be fair, bugs me. Like, bugs me, too. Because, yeah. like, this, like... This movie does perpetuate like the machismo aspect of all this. See, but I'm not even thinking of it from a machismo aspect. I'm thinking of it from like an American aspect. If you, if this movie, this movie wants us to believe something, this would be the most significant moment in in Private Ryan's existence. You know what I mean? It's it's portrayed as such. It's framed as such. Are you telling me that he got married? He had a bunch of kids. He lived his life as good as he could possibly live it, and never said once to somebody. There was. A, I was in World War Two, and this whole huge story that they just made a movie about was not significant enough for me to mention to anybody. Only Edward Burns and Jeremy Davies survived. No, Jeremy Davies probably didn't survive. Jeremy Davies probably fucking killed himself in 1957 or something. He probably got hooked up with a beat, you know, a beat crew who was trying to write poetry and got introduced to heroin by William S. Burroughs and fucking OD'd in like a fucking Midwestern house probably, somewhere. Probably met a guy traveling back in time from a diner who's trying to like save JFK and just shot himself. Oh, nice. It's COVID, so we have self-high five here. Very good. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I, like I said, I have problems with this, but the reason... It stands where it does is just because of the fact that it just made me go like, it's all bullshit. But I also think it, it's because it's, and for all of its faults as a movie, it's an excellent movie. No, it's true. And, and the fact that like in 1990, late 1998, 1990, early 1999 when I saw it, I was like. It's a big fucking deal. Or fucking is stupid. It's stupid, yeah. And like the reasons we fight for other people's ideas are stupid. I'm like. Even if it's only 20 minutes of the movie. And it's not just the 20 minutes. It's it's like when Wade is calling for his mom or where Vin Diesel, um, Capuzo, or whatever, is trying, like, is trying to like say something to his father. I'm just like, fuck this. Like, only thing that matters is the people around you. Fuck these big ideas. Like, this movie 
I don't. I, I'm sure this wasn't Spielberg's intent. This movie made me an anti-patriot. Mm. Like all this movie, this movie bred in me the idea of like all that matters is the people I care about. You know what always bugs me with this movie too is that I always think about the fact. No, was it this one or was it this movie or was it Schindler's List that that prevented Stanley Kubrick from making his World War II movie, from making the Aryan Papers? I don't know. No, no, so no, one no. of the things Steven Spielberg definitely made a world. One of Steven Spielberg's World War II movies prevented. I think I think it was Saving Private Ryan because Aryan Papers would be too soon after Full Metal Jacket. He keep, def- keep talking. Keep talking. So one of these move. One of his World War II movies, like he didn't make a movie because he didn't make his World War II movie because Steven Spielberg was making his. And it was either, it was either Schindler, and Schindler again. Schindler's List seems too close to Full Metal Jacket for hit for that to be like realistic. It might have been Schindler's Schind- List. Was it Schindler's List? That list. But again, and I guess I get that he still should have made his movie. Um, but there's a lot of things. Yeah, they ceased in 1995 because of Schindler's List. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of overlap I think between the aesthetics of Full Metal Jacket and the aesthetics of Saving Private Ryan. Like the, a lot of the daylight stuff. There's so much daylight. In, in the fighting sequences in um, Saving Private Ryan, which I think is new for for a war movie. There's not a lot of, like, the night... All right, next. Next like, to Full Metal Jacket. Right, well, Full Metal Jacket has, the, 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 you know, that last... has a couple of scenes at night, but, like, a lot of it is, is takes during place the day, during the day. Yeah. Um, but aesthetically, I think it's, like, the, the kind of barren wasteland of it. It's not that hyper-populated area that like 1917 tries to occupy in um you know what i mean though yeah i know um yeah it's like it's it's very sparsely populated it is interesting watching 1917 versus this and realizing i love sam mendes but how much more of like a director when they need to dig in like spielberg can be that's not i see when i think of the the two movies, I don't think Sam Mendes, Spielberg, I think Kaminsky, Deacons. Mm. I fucking love Roger Deacons. I would rather watch Saving Private Ryan all day than watch like 1917. Yeah, Deacons. I mean, I. I Deacons needs to get out of its like technical ass he, right now. I, that is like the best way to say it is that I think it's just. It's like. You a, got two Oscars. Do what you feel. Do right. a real. Make a real movie. Like Janice Kaminsky is doing. Like real things here. He's directing movies now. Like Deacons, you can do Oh Brother Where Art Thou again. Uh, like I know you hate that movie, but like from a visual standpoint, that's an achievement. I guess color correction and all that. I for if you're making a live action cartoon, if you're making the sequel no. to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but with people and George Clooney. Roger Deacons direct the next. Um... I'm bringing the name of it right now. Uh, direct the next uh, Tintin movie. Ah, oh, Tintin. You love that movie. Adventures of Tintin is great. You do like Tintin. Okay. The Saving Private Ryan conversation came off the rails. Yeah, And if good you one. like being off the rails, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com where at some point I will update our website. It just seemed like there was other stuff to do, other stuff to think about. The 16 people that listen to us consistently don't care. They're, well, because they're listening to us consistently, so they know what the movies are. 
They know what beers we're drinking. I assume they're probably, maybe two of them are from the New Haven region, so they could probably have access to the beers we drink. Maybe, maybe. Or maybe there's like, they're getting in touch with somebody that lives in our area, and they're having them shipped, so, you know. Yeah, so abomination. Send us a couple bucks. Or a new beer. I know, I'll, 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 I'll hashtag them on Twitter this week. I, I promise, do, this just week do, I Just do. to do abominable. Abominable, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we will, next week we're going to have... Um, I don't know what we're going to do next week, but, you know, between we're now gonna, and then. We're going to do some, uh, I talked about Cronenberg. Oh, yeah. We're going to do some, I'm not looking forward to watching that movie at all. I am. I'm super pumped. I love gore, but there's some gore where I'm like, I don't You know what, Mario? Gore. Here's the thing. I'm, I'm watching movies, I'm drinking beers, and I'm thinking about, like, having conversations because it prevents me from having to think about anything else. And that's what I recommend everybody else do, too.